Today on the QL Podcast, we have Gary Bettman making the announcement of how the phases will work for the return to play of the NHL. Jeff Lurg joins me to talk about his career at Michigan State all the way till his final days in Toledo, in the ECHL, and in France, and what he's up to these days with goalie coaching. And also, Alex phones in from last week, but it's going to be on this week, about him and I ranking the best sports movies by sport. Welcome to the QL Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Keel Podcast. I am your host today, the insider to the insider. Cue the music. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the ladies, welcome back to the Keel Podcast. I am your host, Alex Keel, alongside me, the insider to the insider is Howard Finkel, nice to see you. Uh, I, guys, I can't believe it. It's the comeback of all comebacks. He bleeds red and yellow and blue when he's Mr. America. Wait, he wasn't Mr. America. That's right. Mr. America was Mr. America. Hi, Alex. Hi, everyone. So how are you? Quarantine sucks. Okay, truth be told, this is the second time we've had to do the intro because, well, um, I forgot to plug in the audio. Uh, I mean, at least I got a really good intro. Yeah, out of la- it. yeah the other intro. <laughs> Last one was just, yeah, hi, hi. It was me with a yeah, like a meme sound and stuff like that. But Alex, it's almost actually a good thing that we kind of messed up because it took us right to Gary Bettman. Yes, um, I know. Before the intro music, we talked about how we would talk start. You know, we talked about Alabama Huntsville and all that good stuff, but. Well, this we, is pressing. <laughs> we were going to talk about the 2014 playoff format anyways, but now we actually have clarification. So we'll get to that. But Alex, do you remember what people get, get to do? You know what they should do if they want to get involved with the episodes? Do you remember how to do that part? Oh, yeah. Make sure you're following the page on the, the Keel Podcast. Hashtag the Keel Podcast on Twitter at the Keel Podcast. Make sure to at TJKU29 on Twitter at the real Alex Keel on Instagram. I'm on a little bit of hiatus because of Twitter. But still, you can still talk to me. Make sure to follow the conversation and get involved the best you can. Follow the buzzards. Wait, that's an old that's an old gimmick. Never mind. Anyways, but yeah, so a lot of stuff. So we just finished up watching the Gary Bettman uh, speech. Yes. And uh, we watched it literally live. Well, live-ish. It was pre-recorded, and we literally was like refreshing to hit 430 because it's 451 now Eastern Standard Time. And because big announcement. So every so most of what we expected to happen was happening. By that, I mean the 2014 playoff format, the hub cities. We'll get into the it. The 24 team. Did I say teen again? I think 2014. You, I, I'd, I'll, we'll, I, have to, we'll have to listen, listen back. 24 on team and 2014 are now six years apart from each other. So yes. So unfortunately, it's still in the back of my mind. But I wrote the notes down. I would try to hand them over to Alex to read, but unfortunately, it's it's in my handwriting. Yeah, you got. Ch- well, I mean, I can see if we can write. Well, read let's it here. Well, let's let's break it down. So he starts off, and Gary Bettman saying hello. You know, he's doing his his lawyer shtick. And then he gets into oh, yes, he's a lawyer. Yes, so and, what? You know, 
just, I, be, just because you are something or you have the capability of doing something and you have training in something doesn't mean that you're just that. I will say this. When we talked to Laura a few weeks ago, that was the nice part. Like we both kind of agreed there are some things he's done that we don't like. It's well, the yeah, but, that's but, with the, everybody, but, though. But at the same time, he's not Roger Goodell, and he's also done a lot better of a job with these sort of things. Like I think he's handled it as good as you possibly can. With not imagine this whole season, not just the pandemic, but then the Akeem Alou situation with Bill Peters, and then the Babcock story coming out, and everything going on. He has handled himself better. I've, I mean, granted, it, it's ta- it's going to take a lot for me to trust the man entirely, but what he has done has earned a little bit more of my respect back for him. the The amount that he's done for this league and this season. And you know what? You talk about the his. his we had an angry August on how- we had how, an angry August and how he does stuff. Yeah, he does stuff, quote unquote, as a lawyer. Because you know what? In the situation, in the position that he's in, yeah, that's what he's got to do. Right. You are literally the the highest figure in a professional sports league in the United States. Everything you do, yes, is going to be under scrutiny. So you have to make sure that every word that you say is very clear and the meaning is very clear. You you want to take out every possibility of someone trying to misinterpret it and then having to backtrack and be like, well, that's not what I meant to say. And then you have, you have a completely other problem. But right after his introduction and doing the title, as Tyler refers to as his lawyer shtick, um, he talked about the return to play and how the playoff format's going to go. Um, first and foremost, he made sure to mention the fact that, you know, I mean, the one thing that really everyone expects is that health and safety is number one priority. Um, obviously, we don't want to put anyone in a situation where this can, you know, affect them, affect them negatively, especially the players who, you know, at the end of the day, in, in this case, they're assets and you don't want them, you know, getting sick. But on the on the human perspective, I mean, you don't want get someone getting sick. I mean, right. especially with the, the type of sickness that we have, this this pandemic. Um, so health and safety is the number one priority. Um, it's very clear that uh, a lot of fans and a lot of players want this um, for the for the season to resume, or at least for the hockey to resume, um, and that they are going to be waiting for the official green light um, from medical authorities and civil um, authorities as well, just to make sure that everything that they're doing is by the book. Um as far as the playoffs go, they're going to be by point percentage um, each conference. So the West and the East, they're going to have hub cities. And only two. Only yeah, two. Only Remember, two. There, there was talks there was going to be four. One for They're going to try to separate in a certain way. Right. They're not going to do it based on divisions. They're doing it purely by conference. Which, like they used to do in the olden days, which I like to see them go back to. But that's just, but I think with the wild card, it makes it more interesting. But it's going to be different now with the addition of Seattle of how they're going to do it. But that's obviously in the future. Right. Um, so, but so they're doing it in. They're gonna have two hub cities, one for each conference, which are not announced yet. They are not decided yet, but the ones that are currently in the running that he mentioned uh, were Chicago, uh, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, uh, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, uh, the Twin Cities of Minnesota, so Minneapolis, St. Paul, XL um, Energy Center, yeah, 
uh, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vancouver. So those are the the current runners, and they're not going to announce anything yet, just because they want to make sure that everything that is done and when they select this, it's in the the best interest of everyone, and it's the best viable option at the time that they choose. Because they're going to just going to shut down the city, which is interesting, Alex. Because that means because a lot of those cities have multiple rinks. You know, in Chicago, you could play down at Allstate Arena. I think that's what it's still called, where the Wolves play. Pittsburgh, you could play in some nearby. I mean, there's bigger rinks. You could play there. at Wilkesbury. That's a little far, but but you could also. But like in Chicago, yeah. there's that. There in Toronto, there's you know there's Coca Cola Coliseum, Vancouver. You have where the Giants play. I forget the name of that rink all the time. L A. You have, I know they have a very good practice facility, but there, there's possibility because I don't know if you'd have all those teams playing all those LA, games. On, yeah, LA is going to be the Staples Center, period. And I know that's the tough part because are you going to have all those teams play all those games on one sheet of ice? It's not like it's a peewee tournament on a Saturday morning, Alex. This is the NHL where you're going to have men on these skates tearing up that ice. You're, right. You're going to get to the conference that, finals and it's just going to be mush. And well, here's the thing that's one thing that they're obviously going to have to take into consideration. And that's why all of the facility staff and the the type of people that they have, they they're gonna make sure that they're doing the best that they possibly can to provide each player with the best opportunity to have solid ice that's under them. I will say this: this would be a here, good opportunity to test out that new rink out in Henderson, the Orleans Arena, where the new Vegas Golden Knights team is gonna be playing at. That's a. This will be a great test because you want to. Well, do, if you want to do multiple it's a, arenas, it's a possibility. But I think they want to probably have it. They, I can. I can only think that they would probably have it where it's only one arena. Because you have to think. I just think of the. Yes, I'm, I'm thinking yes, of the play fr- itself. From, from I get, the play itself, I understand that perspective. But to the same token, the National Hockey League has a lot of requirements that they that they need for each facility, whether it be dark rooms, um, ability to get in and out of the bench area at such a quick pace. One, you know, something like uh, Jay Bomeister in earlier in the season when he had that situation on the, the bench. Yep. That Those are different requirements that the NHL has for certain safety reasons. Because, yes, I mean, it's not ideal to have one sheet of ice that's just constantly being ran through, but if the facility... If they don't have more than one facility in the hub city that they choose that eat, that meets all of the requirements, plus not to mention any new requirements that they have during these, this time of the pandemic, then it's not going to work, which is going to be another reason why they're going to, you know, possibly they might look into um, Vancouver as the Western um, hub city, just because like you said, they could play where the Vancouver Giants play, so they, they have the ability to have multiple facilities, but to the same token, do they want to, um, A, try to also quarantine off another facility and spend however I much think, money well, that would I don't be. think that's a problem at this but time, also, though. Just if that facility meets all of the requirements. Right. Because obviously... For the CHL to and, operate in that arena versus NHL, it's I th- different. I think CHL has video review. Most of the CHL does. I know ECHL just bought into it, but I think the Canadian Hockey League teams do. They have a, At least it's very basic where, like in Grand Rapids, the American League, for example, we had the overhead shot. Literally, you could see it from the top from up where we were sitting in Aunt Pat's seats. We could right, see. But, but I mean, but, but like, think about it, though. One yeah, that that's one thing you got to think about is with video the NH- review N- NHL you have to video install, review you have is to install the stuff. You're how right. many angles do they actually have? And then also making sure that 
you know, everything works out with, cause I mean, with the current NHL arenas, everything's already connected to, you know, the situation room or whatever you want to call it. Right. You know, the NHL where they have all the screens up, they can look at every single possible angle regardless. So that's one thing that they are talking about, uh, making sure that everything works for that. Each team is being limited to a total of 50 uh, personnel per team. So that's going to be include players, coaches, um, trainers, trainers. I don't uh, think you'll see a lot of the front office staff come up. You'll see a lot. Of, and since the AHL is canceled, I think you're going to have to bring a good number of black aces to the, to the, to the form just because it's, it's a possibility because one, one of the things, you know, moving down the Jeremy Bracco is going to play for the Leafs. Hey, game five against Columbus. <laughs> one thing that's is going to be implemented is comprehensive testing. Yep. And this is something that we've seen in the UFC where just because one person got tested positive or they had, you know, they're running a little bit of, of fever that day, you're not taking any chances. That person out personnel, but fill that, fill but, that spot for, well, because for the UFC situation, well, they, who, who, they canceled who, who, that entire fight. They canceled I, the fight, but they didn't cancel the event. That's the bigger thing is that they're right. still going to move on with it. That's why, especially the thing that you bring out teams are probably going to have a lot. They're going to have to have a lot of what they call black aces, people that can fill the spot automatically. Because if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and Austin Matthews gets tested and he's got he's running a little bit of a fever, he's out. No matter first how, of all, it's how. Well, in, first of all, we're going to panic. Second of all, well, yes, also because to, yes, you're going to panic because if Austin Matthews Austin is Matthews out of the lineup, what? Well, because if he's out of the lineup, it's more than likely that Frederick Anderson will also be out of the lineup because those two are hanging out during all this good stuff. I will say this. I did listen to last as this then you lose Austin Matthews and Frederick Anderson. Well, yeah, if they test when they come in because that goes to the phases. We'll get to the phases in a second, but continue on there. Um, So comprehensive testing is another thing that they're going to be implementing. Should be the standard, and I completely love it. So that is part of phase one i would say um phase two is the well, early- phase phase ones are allowing practicing in the yes in they're the allowing facilities. practicing in individual limited numbers you know stuff like that right right that kind of stuff um phase two is they're going to be doing early june um practice is that what training we're camp about? Tra- uh, training fra- camp that's, that's phase July. two phase two is you're talking about training camp? Early so, June so, practice. Oh, so, fa- yeah, so, no, phase, so we're in phase one right now. Phase two is early practice. Yeah, so that's the fa- phase one is the selection process, getting everything set that's up. That's where we're in right now. Phase two is having early June practices with the um, individual facilities, all that good stuff. Phase three is having comprehensive training camps, which are going to be no earlier than July 1st. And he also said something about maybe mid-July, but maybe they're trying to think optimistically because it said on the prompt, it said July 1st, but then he said mid-July. Well, it said no earlier than July 1st. Correct. So obviously they're not setting that date in stone because as things develop, it could become earlier. It could become later. But obviously with the pretty much Batman said a month and a half. Exactly. Yeah. So that's for training camps. Phase four is that the teams will report to the hub cities that have been selected for the playoffs. So all of the Eastern conference teams will report to the Eastern hub. All the Western conference teams will report to the Western hub. Um, like I said, that those two hub cities are not selected yet. And we went through all of the names of the cities that are there. Um, so as far as the actual playoffs go and the actual play going on, the top four will be the top four for each conference um, will be involved in a round robin to determine the top four seeds for the uh, playoff format. Yep. So, um, Ty, you have the 
Yes, I do. So for Eastern Conference, Boston Bruins, the top seed. Tampa Bay's number two. Washington, three. Philadelphia. The Flyers are four. The Flyers. Well, it's it's well, it's top two in each division, which is fine. But just remember, folks, that the Philadelphia Flyers were second in the Metro. Let's. This is not two thousand with Keith Primo and John Van Beesbrook. Hey, hey, John. This hey, is the f- that, round robin play. Bruins versus Philly. Well, and here's the th- it's interesting because I know because the two teams that voted no, Alex, were Tampa Bay and Carolina. Carolina was. They had they had their reasons. They weren't. They Who cares? We made the playoffs. <laughs> but Tampa, in particular, Nikita Kucherov said that those games won't be competitive no. just because of the fact that they won't. They're already in. Whereas those teams are playing for their lives. The rest of the the final, to our final. Excuse me, twelve teams. No, twelve teams. The final eight teams in that in the play-in series. Right. So that so those are the four for the Eastern Conference. Western Conference are St. Louis number one, Colorado number two, Vegas and Dallas. Dallas got hot at the right time, and Edmonton fell back at the wrong time. Yeah. And so those are the, the eight teams that are going to be in the round robin with four for each conference. Um, so that, like I said, that's going to be to de- determine the top four seeds for the um, playoffs. Those, regular, games, those, those games are going to be played uh, as they would be in the regular season. Yep, regular season OT and um, everything. Regular season overtime with a which shootout. Which means that somehow, some with way... With a shootout. Which means... Hey, the Leafs are not in this. I'm okay. It's going to be playoff over... It's going to be regular playoff overtime for them, which I'm okay with. I just want to make sure that you get that importance out there that there is a shootout hey, involved in this. I don't care if Tampa gets screwed on a shootout. <laughs> hey. What if Boston gets screwed on a shootout? Brad Marchand shoots what, and what, trips what, over the blue line. What if... Boston loses a game due to a shootout, and then they have to play Toronto in the first round. Step it. <laughs> well, that's a big. So that's one thing, though, Alex. Um, we'll get to the playoff matchups and the play-in series here in a second. But that's the big thing you noted. They're not sure yet. The rate of play committee still has to work it out of whether or not they're going to play a bracket system or they're going to reseed after each round. Right. That's so the th- interesting thing because they've done the bracket for the last few years, and he made sure he mentioned that that right now it's undecided. Which I think, if you're Leafs fans, knowing that the way they had the bracket set up initially, they would play Boston in the second round if they beat Columbus. Yes. Um, so that's for that. And then after the opening round, um, oh goodness, this is where this is where your chicken scratch scratch gets pretty. So bad. the after so right now they're undetermined on how they want to do the playoffs or the play-in series, the first round. Well, the play-in series, excuse me, is best of five. And then they're not sure yet if they want to do the best of five for both the first and second rounds. The conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals are for sure set at best of sevens. I think the first round should be a best of three. I'm a, no, not best of threes. You can do best of fives. Best of fives for the first I two series. It quicker. Best of th- now. See, they would if they think were about, if, think if about, they were going to do that. The, else, they would have done best of threes for this series for the play-in series if they wanted to do well, a best what of I, three. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. But they'll do the first this and second series round. should be best of three. Because I mean, think about what the NBA does. Well, they do a best of five in the first round. That's just, I don't... I yeah, mean, it's, I, it's shortened. It's not best of seven, best yeah. of seven, best of seven. That's what makes then the, you're making so many players so tired that you don't really need to. Trust me, they're going to be exhausted by the end of it. Whoever makes it to the Stanley Cup Finals is just going to be dead tired. <laughs> I don't care about how it, long this it. way. Dead tired. Exactly. Dead tired. <laughs> but, so... Oh, that was a bad joke. The And that's pretty much how it goes there. The matchups, you want to get into that? Uh, yes. So, Tyler, you have it again. Yep. Why don't you read down what the matchups are for the teams that are not the top four? 
Not the for top each conference. Four. So the play-in series going in the Eastern Conference because Eastern first because the sun rises in the East. Eastern it, bias. And just, just to make sure that for everyone at home, these are the teams. So the losers of these teams will then go into the... We'll, we'll get to the draft lottery in a second because that's the most confusing bit of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Right, but the teams And I that, took calculus. <laughs> but the teams that win go into the playoffs. Correct. It's a whole kit and caboodle, but we'll get to that in a second. Pittsburgh will play Montreal. Yes, the Canadians, despite just being confusing as anything, get a playoff spot. Is it because they speak French? No, just because they finished 12th. Fair. Carolina will get the Rangers, so Adam Fox's old yes. team will play against Adam Fox. <sighs> Literally, that's that's if that's not your storyline, if that's not your motivation to kick the crap out of the Rangers, Rod Brandemar should be fired. I'm just saying. If you're going to do a Michael Jordan thing of find something to get your team psyched up, he didn't want to play for us. Or I don't know how he, I don't know if Rod Brindamore's, I don't know his accent well enough or his voice, but I'm just saying, that's what I'd be yelling. He didn't want to play for us. Beat him. After Carolina beats them and wins the series, they should play Foxy Lady. Ooh. That should be, that'll be the storm surge. Foxy Lady. Oh my gosh. And then someone, and then give someone guy a Garth wig so he can do the whole Garth dance from Wayne's World. <laughs> Islanders taking on Florida. So Sergei Bobrovsky will have an opportunity to redeem himself and Leafs and Jackets, which always seem to be very interesting games. And I in Corpus Hollow, because he was hurt for a lot of this year, is all-star goaltender. It'll be interesting to see how that matchup goes. I think we'll do more of the matchups next week just because we have so many interviews. Sorry, I'll, I'll move a little faster here in the West. Edmonton, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Nashville, Arizona. They that still squeak into the playoff spot. Good. Vancouver, Minnesota. I'm interested because Elias Pettersson versus Alex Daylock, but Jacob Markstrom versus the Minnesota Wild. How will Markstrom be in this first playoff series? Calgary and Winnipeg. Not quite the Battle of Alberta, but I'll take a Battle of the Prairies. I'm okay with that. I'll take it. I was really hoping that Edmonton versus Calgary. I was hoping. Well, if but- they... If there's a scenario, if there's a reseed, if Flames went out, it'll be interesting. I hope, you we'll know, I I mean, hope so. Because, I mean, it, you want to also play into the part of whether or not, you know, if if one team wins it. if Because it, if it's a game, or if it's best of five, you know, if you have a team that wins in three games versus a team that wins in four games, how is that going to work? Exactly. And all that good stuff. But we'll see when we get there. Yep. So that's for the first and so that's pushing everything into the first round. First and second round lengths are unsure as of this moment. The conference finals and the Stanley Cup final will be a best of seven. Though. And it will be in either of whatever hub cities they decide. They'll be in one of one or the other. They're not sure. That's yet. that's probably what they're going to go with. That's what Batman said. Um, and what Batman yeah. said goes. Yeah, that's probably what they're going to do because. I think we should probably get to the. I think we'll do, we'll do more of the playoffs stuff probably next week. But let's get to the draft lottery because that's probably going to take the longest. Because we got a we got a couple long interviews, Alex. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking like between the two like hub cities, how are you going to do? Like, are you just going to choose like just the pick wet, a third the, one? The, the, that's what I'm saying. Like, why don't you have one that's kind of like have in it the in middle a, and have it in a bowl? Have it in Detroit. I'm going to be calling my guys at the hockey writers so hard. I'm like, all right, Stanley we, Cup final. All potential seven games. In I will freeze my butt off at Little Caesars Arena just to sit there. Either that or like Chicago. I will be the one writer there. I will write. And it. I will, it'll be myself, Elliot Freeman, Chris Johnson, and Bob McKenzie. Oh, oh okay. Okay, Tyler's wet dreams. It'll, it'll be the Mount Rushmore of hockey writers. Uh, no. The, the, hey, uh, don't forget, John Adams is on Mount Rushmore. Just remember that, okay? What's wrong with John Adams? Okay, what did he do as a president? Except for being the second or being the first vice president. 
Anyways, oh, Tyler, it's not draft about lottery. what he did as the president. Oh my goodness. Okay. Draft lottery. Okay. Let's just before I get all historical on you. Okay, out of wild. I haven't watched that or listened to that show in a while. Um, so going into the entry draft lottery. So do we want okay. Do I want to read Elliot Friedman's tweet because it's a lot more simple than what Gary Bettman made it to be? Just read what Elliot said. So the lottery, first of all. Quote from Elliot Friedman, buddy Twitter. Fridge. Buddy Fridge. He's not your buddy. He texted me the other day. Um, June 26th will be the draft lottery, which was obviously going to be before the season would start, the postseason would start. There will be a draw to determine each of the top three picks, separate draws. And then if any of those picks are won by a team in the play-in, there will be a second phase to determine the that team after the play-ins are completed. So say somehow Toronto magically wins the thing. Okay. They would determine because obviously the only teams that would qualify for it are the seven teams that do not make the playoffs or the play-ins and then eight, the eight teams that lost. Correct. And there's a second phase. It's very long. And unfortunately we just don't have enough time today to really get into it. You can check it out on I'm sure there's a report on Sportsnet, TSN, I'm pretty sure ESPN has done something, even With, though apparently within the next 24 hours, there will be some sort of graphic that will be made. There will be a much more understanding because Gary Bettman sounded like my stinking, he sounded like my diversity and society professor well, in college. It, just didn't make any sense. It's whatsoever. just hard. It's just a, it's a very hard thing. And it's very, it is confusing. The fact that Elliot Freeman has been able to like dumb it down for people like you and me is just to show how good he is at his job because hockey geniuses are the only ones that can figure this out. This is something that's completely different. And Chris Johnson, by the way, saying that the draft may be taking place most likely in October, which means that players in Europe could be playing before the draft. So that's a good chance for them to get their last little bit. Hey, Hmm. if you have, or you have either players that already have high stock that don't want to play or players that say, Hey, I can play, you know, try to boost up your numbers a little bit. Mm, see, cause here's the thing. If you're, if you're looking at a European player in the top 10 picks and he starts and he plays well, we'll you know, get, like a finished player, we'll get to players that need to and, boost their numbers if they want to move up in the draft. Cause I'm there's talking a, about injury, dude. Well, that's the, so that's the thing. Some play, that's what I'm saying. You'll have the top guy say, I'm fine. I don't need to play where some guys like, you know, I want to move up in the draft. Even if you're like a friend, just, oh God, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be gonna interesting. Be, it's interesting, yeah, but yeah. But I think that's a good place to leave off on that. We gave the report. That's what we wanted to wait for. But like I said, we'll dive more into the playoff matchups maybe next week and moving forward on top of interviews that we'll keep bringing them in. Cause still I, got plenty of time. So. We, we got plenty of time. Like I said, probably we're looking at late August, or not late August, late July, early August is what we're looking at. But with that, Alex, probably should get to one of my interviews. Yeah. Well, the first of two interviews today here on the Kiel Podcast, I recorded yesterday with none other than Jeffrey Lurg. Jeff Lurg, the former Lurg. Lurg, the former Michigan State goaltender, national champion, standing at a whole five foot six, probably the most athletic goaltender I've ever been able to watch. And that is not a lie. That's not me pumping up his tires. He is one of the most athletic goaltenders I ever watched. And he had to, given his size, had a very fairly successful pro career. He went to Italy, went to France a couple times, played in Toledo in the ECHL for a couple of years, ECHL All-Star. Now making his living as a goaltending coach, not just for future pro, future pro goaltending schools, but a lot others. Let's go to that interview right now.
Joining us now on the QL podcast is a former goaltender that many in East Lansing still praise to this day, while others just a little east in Ann Arbor still groan when they hear his name. He's a former Toledo walleye and the president of Future Pro USA, one of the top goaltending schools in North America. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jeff Lurg. How are we doing? Thanks for having me on. Jeff, how are you doing? How is how is everything going for Mr. Lurg and during all this pandemic right now? Uh, it's going all right. Obviously, uh, there's been, uh, with all the negatives, there's been some positives, as many people have found. Uh, for me, uh, I have an uh, almost three-year-old daughter, so getting to spend a little bit more time with her has been nice yeah, during, the, during the hockey season with all the coaching that I was doing last year, I was on the, on the goal a lot. So we're doing, we're doing all right. A lot of family time trying to make up for a little lost time from the season and just trying to do the best we can. That is probably the best part about all this. Cause you know, my wife and I, we just got married. So this has been like an extended honeymoon for us, um, if you will. So it's, it's been nice to stay at home a lot, but you as yourself, you know, you're a goaltending coach nowadays. How does a goaltending coach work at this time? I had my good friend Joe Messina on last week from Bandits, and he went through his his kind of routine. What are you doing to kind of help still go along with Future Pro and all your other endeavors as a goaltending coach and advisor? Yeah, I mean, uh, when, when everything first started, um, you know, we were just into the state playoffs, some of the some of the goalies I train and teams I coach are right in the middle of the state playoffs uh, and and a few of them were, were hoping to compete for a national championship in the following week so uh, first dealing with it uh, it was just trying to kind of keep a positive spin on things and uh, kind of let the let the goalies know things are going to be okay uh, and that we'll get back at it eventually and obviously as time's gone gone by since then but uh, initially I kind of just provided off-ice workouts for the goalies and the organizations that uh, I work for. And then um, once those kind of expired after 14, uh, 14, 20 days or so of kind of providing those, I wanted to switch gears. So I was providing some online lectures lasting uh, five to 10 minutes on various topics. And I would email those to the goalies just to kind of keep them a little bit mentally engaged. But uh, since then, it's been, you know, most people are want to get back at it. They don't want to listen anymore. They don't want to get the virtual things going. So over the last week or week and a half, I guess, I just actually opened up a little synthetic ice training facility in my garage uh, to comply with the outdoor training at the garage open and doors open. And I've had some students in here recently just kind of getting the rust off after some time off. Yeah, I've seen those. And I remember even back when I was playing, it was interesting to see how the goaltenders trained on those because you wondered how with like with shuffling as a former goaltender myself, you know, you you can do T pushes and kind of stop and a lot of butterfly sliding. But it, is that is that an effective way for a goaltender to train just on like the little movements like the shuffling, like the stopping post to post kind of movements? Yeah, I mean, it's been great. Every every goalie that's come has been uh, they left a lesson saying, wow, that's way better than I thought it was going to be, I could move so much better than I thought. So I've had positive reviews on that. I think I did a little homework on, um, I guess, how to set it up the right way. I had to put some liner underneath the tiles so that they stayed in place nicely. And I also, I also bought a skate sharpener that sparks skate sharpener. So I sharpened the goalie skates before the lesson. So they always have fresh edges. So I think uh, those two little aspects help. And for right now, it's a lot of it's just seeing the puck again for some of these goalies. So I thought it was an innovative way to try to, get back and uh, comply with regulations. And for me, I have bad asthma, so I'm obviously not in a rush to go jam myself in a small area with a lot of people. So it was a good, uh, I think it's been effective so far and 
just trying to stay connected with the goalies that I do coach. Yeah, tell us about that. You you played your entire career with <laughs> asthma, and you know if anyone's ever seen it, there's actually a, a nice special that old the old CSTV, the precursor to CBS Sports Network, they did on you and your playing career at Michigan State of how you had the asthma machine in the locker room there at Mount Ice Arena. How is that different? Because I know a lot of players that you know skaters that you know have asthma and they are able to adapt to it. As a goaltender, what makes it different having asthma and playing hockey? Yeah, I, I had that breathing machine, the nebulizer it's called, since I was four years old. So I really just, it was part of my daily routine even before I played hockey. So for me, hockey was the adjustment when I was really young. It was just um, doing the breathing machine, finding different ways to do it, whether it was at home, uh, as I got to higher levels and I, I could drive, I'd start doing it in the car on the way to practice or games. When I was in uh, the USHL in Omaha, I was, you know, living away from home. I had to learn how to be more independent with it. And I was, you know, I, I'd do the, the breathing machine on the way to a game in my car, driving to the rink. And then for road games, obviously bring it in the locker rooms. And then uh, that was what transpired to my college days. I just always kept it in the locker room. And Michigan State did it before every skate. So for me, it uh, my body adapted along the way at every level with it. And it was just part of my routine. I needed to do it. And I, I tried, tried to do just inhalers or things like that, but definitely never felt anything close to the same. Um, I just found the most difficulty when playing in the higher altitude, you know, places when we played at Colorado college at MSU, that was obviously tough or some real busy nights, um, getting a lot of shots and a lot of work. Those were a little bit more, you know, I have to take, uh, sometimes an extra inhaler in between periods to, uh, to try to get through it. And that, and that some people don't quite realize they hear it all the time when they, you know, there's games in Denver or something like that. Oh, the altitude, the altitude. If you don't actually play in it, you don't understand how different it can be. I've played in higher altitude areas before myself and it's, it's a little different. I mean, we, I've, I've never been like at the top of the mountain, like in Denver or even up anywhere near the Colorado area, but it's just such a game changer for a goaltender because you actually have to like, not necessarily pace yourself, but you know, have proper breathing techniques. So you don't end up, you know, your game doesn't dwindle because of it. Yeah, it was, uh, and I learned a little bit more even after college uh, playing in Europe, but when we went to Colorado college, um, I, it was an NCAA tournament game and I uh, had a very busy night against the home team, uh, Colorado college at a home bid for the tournament and I had about 45 shots. It was extremely busy and was doing my nebulizer between every period just to get more in. I was really uh, working hard just to make simple saves, it felt like. And um, that was probably the most uh, eye-opening experience from that front of it. And then I had to regroup and try to do it again the next day. And I didn't have the same amount of uh, uh, energy, I guess. My body didn't feel right the next day. And we ended up losing to Notre Dame in uh, 2008 uh, tournament game. But uh, And then I played in Europe. Um, you know, a handful of years later, and I lived in the French Alps, and we played in the French Alps, and I had to really adjust to that because, uh, and also the, in the Italian league, in the Italian uh, Dolomite Mountains, it was uh, it was tough getting off a bus ride and being way up in the altitude. I started just in those situations. I had to do my nebulizing between every period a lot of times just to get to the games. We'll get to, uh, we'll definitely get to the Europe part of your career for sure here in a little bit, but let's get back to East Lansing. You know, you're from Livonia, you're from, you know, you kind of right in the Mecca of the old CCHA, which thank goodness it's starting to make a comeback. It won't have Michigan and Michigan State, but regardless, you know, what did you know about MSU before coming to East Lansing? Well, I, I didn't have any direct relatives to tell me all the great stories about it. Um, you know, and, and to 
when I was kind of young, growing up as a college uh, aspiring athlete, I guess, I always went to the GLI every year growing up. So I always saw, you know, the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry right out in front of me. Um, so I got to go to a lot of college games, and I was always had a goal to play college hockey at a high level you know, and uh, be a starter in, in college. So I, I had uh, I knew a little bit about it. I knew it was a great program. Obviously, a lot of times they were number one in the country. They had some terrific attendance streaks going on. So I knew it seemed like a fun and exciting place, but I didn't have any anyone to tell me how great it was. My uncle actually played at uh, University of Michigan. My dad played at Ohio State. So I had Ugh, uh, that must have been tough. <laughs> yeah, so I had two other schools that I was uh, bloodline. Uh, related to and, and heard great things and took tours of, of locker rooms in both those schools and saw the little campuses at all those schools when I was young. So, uh, MSU was a uh, surprise. Yeah. They, it was interesting cause you played, I want to say in the old Mon ice arena, because since then they have really renovated the, the rink to almost a pro level style rink now. But cause I remember playing in there and we got jammed in the little closet locker rooms, us, you know, playing minor hockey and such. But you went in there and almost got the starting job part near right away. You worked over it, and under Rick Comley, you started to really become one of the best goaltenders in the NCAA. Yeah, it was. Uh, I came in, you know, as a freshman, and Dominic Ficari was a junior. Uh, he was a sophomore All American the previous year, so he was obviously a very successful college goaltender, and, and I was I was a very successful junior goaltender, having two really good years in the USHL. So. Um, my expectations were, you know, to obviously go to college and compete and, and play college hockey games. And just like I did every year, try to win championships uh, was always my goal. Uh, I had that ingrained in me as a youngster playing with the Honeybake program. So I, uh, you know, I did kind of start off slow a little bit my freshman year in uh, at Michigan State. I think uh, up to Christmas time that year, I only played uh, six games and I had one win. I believe my record was one, one win, two losses and three ties. So a little bit slower start from, from the standards I had set for myself. But um, once the GLI tournament came, I went into the – when uh, Vicari ended up getting pulled in the finals uh, of that tournament, I finished the game uh, that night and uh, played really well. I got to start the next weekend I got against Wayne State. I got to shut out the first game. So I got to start again the next night and uh, played again really well, and we won again. So I kind of got on a little roll from there and – from that point, I believe my freshman year, I, I played all but one game to finish the year. Yeah, 17-6-6 six six record back when ties were an actual thing in, yep. in college hockey. But then that led to your sophomore season, and a lot of folks out there in East Lansing still talk about it, the 07 team that won the national championship. What made that team such a special group to play with? Well, I think just that we were a team. We are a complete team that, uh, you know, probably the closest camaraderie I've had from an individual team, people that uh, enjoyed coming to the rink together, people enjoyed going to play games together, you know, a group of guys that love being with each other and hanging out with each other off the ice. So it was just a fun team to be at, a very fun environment to be around. Um, fortunately for us, we had some ups and downs during the year, but we found our, our stride when it mattered most. And, uh, you know, a group of guys that we still talk a lot to this day, and a lot of best friends for life. So really it was uh, what you ask for when you're, when you're a young kid growing up, you love coming to the rink. You don't think about anything else. You just enjoy being with your teammates. It was that type of feeling uh, throughout that year and a lot of years at Michigan State for sure. 
And if some of you actually don't know Jeff Lurk too well, he is not the the biggest goaltender to say the least. He stands at five foot six, but your athleticism, Jeff, is what I think became your trademark over the years. Which brings me to a video that came out. I don't know if it was the 07 playoff or the 07 CCHA playoffs or the 08 playoffs, but someone got a video of you. It was at the Joe against Michigan, and it was you doing your routine during warmups. And it's you doing all these leg kicks and whatever and your gloves up and down movement. And some people thought it was rather amusing. Me being a young goaltender, I saw that. And I'm like, wow, that's how he prepares and gets ready. Because at that time, I think I was probably maybe 10 or 11 or 12 years old. And I was still trying to figure out of how to become like a complete goaltender. And I saw that and I started to emulate in practice. And my coach was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I saw Jeff Lurg do it in the game once and it worked out. How did that become your thing? Because each, you know, goaltenders are superstitious. I'll get out. I am probably one of the worst about it. But how did your routine come to fruition? Was it something you saw or was it something you sort of developed on your own? Yeah, well, thank you. No, it, uh, the routine became and my preparation was just learned through experience year after year. Um, probably starting at the midget level uh, with honey baked, I picked up a few different new ways to prepare it as the, as the level of level of play got higher, you know, growing up in the honey baked youth organization, my team was always very, very good. One of the top teams in the country year in and year out. And there were many games. I didn't get a lot of work and I, I prided myself on having good practice habits. That's where I got better. But then come the midget level here in, in Detroit, triple a hockey, we were, we were playing teams all across the country and uh, we started to play some real tight games. So I had to start to develop some sort of routine. That's where I started to get my racquetball drills going before the games. That's where I started to get a little bit more mental preparation and stretching before the games. And year after year, I started to get uh, into a more confined routine. And I, I learned a lot. The next level of play at the USHL, I would say, is where that kind of pre-warm-up routine was started. And most likely it happened that I was just kind of young and learning the way of how to prepare for junior hockey games. And I'm, I'm sure what happened was I did that type of movement or that type of pattern. And I probably played really well that night and did it again the next night. And as you know, it just kind of became part of it from there. So all these routines, I, I just tried to as a goalie control as much as you can, you know, it's an old cliche, but it, it, it helped me along the way that I knew that if I did everything I could to prepare for that game and do things the right way in my, in my mind that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't become unraveled when things got tough during the game because I knew I prepared uh, as best I could for it. Yeah, that was one thing. Is if my if my pregame routine was off just a little bit, I I just and that's the bad part. Maybe that's why I'm doing the broadcasting now is because I had the problem. Is that if I knew my routine wasn't to a T, I just knew the game was going to go awfully. Did did that ever happen to you, or were you just like once it got to the game, it became the game itself? Yeah, well, I definitely had to learn. I think it. Uh, Definitely at some points um, there was that element to it, but I, I didn't let that. I think I adjusted quickly to realize that, try to uh, compartmentalize my mind there that I have to shut that part of it off and now just play. So I think I learned that relatively quick, probably at the junior ranks. And uh, sometimes I'd get away with it with just playing okay, but my team would save me. But I think I kind of got some over some of those humps uh, at that level and probably still a little bit in, early in college. But by the time I became uh, – a pro, I think I had to, I think I I got over that hump because there's a lot of uncertainty when you're taking bus rides and you're coming in late to games or you can't get a nap in or things like that. So uh, I had to learn, you know, it was, it was through experience. It was, 
you know, I, I try not to let the superstition of preparation be the whole game because you got you to go out and play. And sometimes you just need to have one of those days where everything's off in terms of preparation and you go out and you play really well. So your mind uh, is convinced of that. Yeah. And it's funny. I remember you mentioned the racquetball, which instantly brought me back to, um, I think around, I think it was around 07 or 08. Cause there was, there was a vi- uh, special, I don't know if it was Fox sports that did it with you, but they followed your routine on a game day or a practice day. And they, sh- and they showed you doing the racquetball and my dad, who, by the way, is a diehard Michigan fan. We were all born Michigan fans here in the Kuehl household. He mm-hmm. came back the next day, and he dropped three racquetballs, like a can of racquetballs next to me. He says, I don't care if he's from Michigan State or not. You're going to start doing that. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right. And I did it ever since. So it would, became part of my routine as well. But I guess talk about the life on the road of a college hockey player, because it's not, you know, people think, you know, there's some of the big teams that travel across the country, whatever, in some flights. But most of the time when you're playing within your conference or within your, I guess, region of the country, it's all bus trips. What was it like being on the road, being a collegiate athlete? Yeah, well, it, it was a little bit of both, to be honest. I mean, we, uh, the thing about junior A hockey in the U.S. is that you learn that part of the game pretty quickly at that level. So I learned about bus trips and grinding it out from Omaha, Nebraska to Chicago, Illinois for a game one night, then driving to Green Bay, Wisconsin for a game the next night, then driving home on a Sunday and playing in Cedar Rapids, Iowa the next night, and then driving back to Omaha, you know, to get home. So I learned about that type of the grind uh, at the junior USHL level. So when I came to college, it was easy, to be honest. It was a quick two-and-a-half-hour trip to uh, Notre Dame or to Ferris State. You know, you're, you're busing the day of the game. But um, <clears throat> I just learned how to prepare in the morning, do everything I could prior to it, do a lot of, you know, have a little nap and uh, kind of do a lot of mental imagery on the bus ride. So when I arrive at the rink, I was uh, ready to play. The, the, the toughest part of the bus trips, you know, were just, you know, the times sometimes you get home, one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. Obviously, it's not a great night of sleep, but you got you to play the next night. You got you to get a nap uh, the next afternoon to get uh, your body back and mind back feeling good. So a lot of that was learned prior to college. And um, the toughest part is arriving home in the middle of the night, sometimes off the bus and and playing a home game the next night. Um, But again, that was learned a lot through experience and how to deal with that. But uh, there were some nights at Michigan State, we were, I guess some some trips, we were treated pretty well there as a hockey program. We, We would charter a plane up to Northern Michigan in Marquette and uh you know there was nights we'd play a, a Saturday night home game or a Saturday night away game in Marquette we'd take a private flight home and we would um you know I guess still be able to get to the bars before 2 a.m on a Saturday night uh in East Lansing so we we definitely had some advantageous travel compared to some other programs so they uh I guess when you're successful you get treated uh, treated pretty well so we had, we had a little bit of both yeah talking about being successful back to that 07 team I I remember watching that game vividly because on one end of the rink, you had Boston College who had what seemed like, if you look at their roster now, half of them were NHLers. You had Corey Schneider against you at the other end between the pipes, and you stole the show. And what do you most remember about that game in itself? Well, I mean, to be honest, I never watched the whole game until we had this uh, stay-at-home order and it was replayed, and I finally was able to watch the whole game, but... Prior to that, obviously, the, the thing I remember most was uh, my two-on-one save against Brian Boyle in, in the third period. That was my moment I'll never forget. Um, the other part of it I remember of that day was just feeling 
I wasn't too emotional before games. It's probably my biggest trademark was that I was pretty calm under pressure, but I remember feeling an immense amount of emotion throughout the day and preparing for the game and, you know, almost the realization that, you know, I'm, I have a chance to achieve my dream. And it was a goal I set a long, long time ago as a youngster growing up. I, I had a dis- distinct goal of winning an NCAA college championship. It wasn't just uh, on a whim. This was a goal that was set as a youngster in my mind, watching NCAA tournaments year after year. So I remember during that day feeling an immense amount of emotion. And when I walked um, out of my hotel room, uh, down the elevator, I arrived in the lobby, the Michigan State uh, marching band. They were having a pep rally in the lobby with hundreds of people. And I couldn't even I couldn't even pick my head up because I felt like I was just had so much emotion. I just needed to get on that bus and get to the rink and play because uh, I just had a special feeling inside like I was going to accomplish this goal. The game itself was it's it's up there with one of the best ones in terms of how great the game was because even though I think the score ended up only being three to one for a goaltender like myself that was entertaining. And you mentioned that because I was going to ask you about that save against Boyle because I remember I watched that save and I was like, holy like it was. It was one of the best saves I think I'd ever seen in a college hockey tournament, and just the face Boyle makes after it because I think you wasn't the, wasn't MSU on the power play at that time when that play happened. Yeah, yeah, we were on the power play, so it was a shorthanded chance, and uh, probably would ice the game in their favor. It it's just it's such a great game, and then I guess you know you talk about being you know emotional and stuff like that when Admiral somehow redirects that puck in from and that play behind the goal were you because i got the great on the espn the camera shot was just on the michigan state bench how were you reacting because there was still i think what 30 it was less than a minute to play but there was still plenty of time left for the game to go either way yeah i mean there, there was like 18.9 seconds left i'll never forget that because that's the first thing i did uh just look at the clock uh to see how much time was left you know i didn't know if it was right at the buzzer or what i just remember you know, the play was, um, they were on a rush to get in our zone. And I was, I went from one, one second, to uh, being in the zone to make a save potentially to, to keep going, get us into overtime. And then obviously the tides turned, we went down the ice and kept it in the zone. And, and he made, uh, you know, he made a great, great tip in front to, to score. And I just had a, a huge, uh, I guess, shock of emotion. I remember getting chills through my body. Um, when he scored, I glanced quickly at the clock and obviously was very, very excited, but then had to kind of shut my eyes and uh, take a couple deep breaths and, and realize that I got to gotta prepare to finish the game. It's it's so weird, like the littlest things people remember. It's like, oh my gosh, they probably were going crazy, stuff like that. Like you have to refocus. It's, it's so hard sometimes because I've seen games where there's a great goal at one end, like less than a minute left, but then boom, somehow they get too cocky and the other team comes back and scores. All those games are just, I mean, they're fun to watch, but they're just insane to be a part of. But you end up finishing your career, and, and you know, I guess well, the 0809 season was a little bit of a rough stretch, and it kind of didn't turn the tide towards Michigan State. But then you end up going to play pro. You play one year with Trenton in the ECHL, part of the Devils organization the team you were drafted by. But then you end up going overseas instead and going to first Italy, playing for Asiago. What was that like? Had you ever been to Europe before playing in Italy, or is that like your first experience over in Europe? Yeah, well, I guess prior to that, I'll let you, I'll give you a little background. At the end of my college career, um, you know, it didn't go as planned. There was, uh, you know, for 2009, we lost uh, up seven or eight very key players that were huge parts of our 
first three years of success. A few of them signed professional contracts early. A few of them graduated. So the senior year didn't go as planned um, by any means. My caliber of play, I thought that actually was, uh, I thought that I played really, really well all years. It might have been my best year in terms of caliber, um, but we just we just couldn't win games. So that was <clears throat> unfortunate, but then things really took a turn for the worse when I, I tore my ACL with about two weeks left in the season, and then I played my final three games on a torn ACL um, <clears throat> before getting surgery. I recovered all summer from my one ACL. I was getting ready to go to New Jersey Devils training camp. Four days before that, I was skating here in the Detroit area. I tore my other ACL. So my first year of pro, I sat at home and rehabbed two knees for a while. So just wanted to preface that because that was the reason I went to Italy, having two major injuries there, adding two more injuries during my time in Trenton of my first year pro. I said, I need to get out of here. I need to just, you know, like I recently had got married prior to going to Italy. I said, let's just start fresh. Let's try European hockey. Let's see if I can get healthy with uh, – kind of a less game schedule and a little bit more time in between games and things of that nature. And, and then we, my wife and I, we fell in love with the European culture. We were living up in the Italian Dolomite mountains, um, you know, 3000 feet up and to drive up a, a big mountain to get to our little town of Asiago where the cheese is made. So it was uh, it was a fun experience, beautiful experience. And then unfortunately I, uh, I tore my groin, uh, at uh, early January, I'm just kind of sidelined for most of the end of the season. And then, of course, then the next year, then you end up going to the French League. And I actually have a couple guys that I'd skated with when I was playing that had gone on to play in the French League. And they said it's one of the, one of the I guess, most underrated leagues to play for in Europe, one of the best pro leagues. How was your experience there with uh, Villard de Lan? I love that. Uh, I love the French League, and I would say that uh, that's a true statement. Um, it's a, it's a good, good league. You know, there's, there's players that were playing in that league that were hundred and some point getters in, in the queue, you know, major junior hockey. There's, there's college all Americans playing in that league. It was, uh, it was a good league. It was a, it was a pretty fast league, pretty good skill. A lot of import players, a lot of French Canadians actually, obviously, cause they can go speak French there. And in my time in Villard, which is a, a town of a population of 5,000, again, on top of a mountain, um, you know, 3,000, 4,000 feet up, very high, uh, little ski resort in the mountain that, uh, people from across France would come visit during the holidays. So it went from a town of, or a population of 5,000 into about 30 or 40,000 during the holiday time. So it's pretty cool, pretty cool town. Um, we always, uh, compare that town to when you watch the Grinch, uh, Whoville house, a little small town like that. That's how we, we, describe our town of Villard, Delance. It's a very cool town. And it was, the head coach was actually, uh, during my time at Michigan State, he was an assistant coach at Lake Superior State. Um, he ended up playing in that town uh, during his pro time and he married uh, a girl from that town. So he be- eventually became the head coach there. So that's, it became, it was a cool town because I had a, a, another American, he was a head coach and, and we got along well. So nothing but great things to say about that time. I was about to say, it, it makes it a little bit easier than for you to have to t- adjust to, I guess, the language barrier. But then again, as a goaltender, you really don't need to worry about speaking French. You just need to stop the puck. I mean, it's pretty simple. Well, in theory. In theory, yeah. So, yeah, so what ended up, so you play a couple years there, but then you end up coming back to North America, particularly to Toledo, which I believe is one of the most proud franchises in the ECHL, just based on the following, the way the city, the way the town just really, you know, kind of, you know, kind of evolves and kind of comes to the walleye. 
What made you come back to the ECHL and what was your best experiences with the Toledo Walleye? Yeah, well, that's a great question. That's uh, and that's why I prefaced the previous question with all the injuries I had uh, prior to starting my pro career. Um, in my mind, I never, you know, not that I was getting really a, a complete shot um, at the NHL level, but I, I never really felt I, I got that, uh, you know, shot to prove myself at the North American pro level due to coming off injuries and I'd get healthy, I'd get hurt again. So I just never, never, never was in the groove, never felt I was playing up to my caliber of play just because I was always coming off an injury. And uh, those two years in France, I finally played two healthy seasons of, of hockey and I played almost every minute of those two years. Um, got a lot of shots on that. We were, you know, we were a team that, um, gave up a lot of chances, but that helped me kind of get in the groove and it was a fun team to play for. I kind of felt very confident in my game again. So, um, it was, uh, I felt I wanted to come back to the ECHL or North America to give it one more go. And I was really blessed that Toledo was finally going to be able to sign the ECHL, uh, contracted goalie. Previously, they were affiliated with Chicago and Detroit in the NHL. And each team would send uh, an NHL contract to goalie down there. But uh, after years of being one of the worst teams in the league, even though it was one of the best places to play in the league, um, you know, I think they finally, management finally said, we're just going to have one team here as our affiliate. And they, and they have the Red Wings. So it was, uh, it was kind of just a perfect storm that I was looking for a team. And then coincidentally, an old coach that used to see me play uh, he used to be at, at Ferris State, and he's also a good friend, one of my old coaches. John John Cooper was my coach at Honeybaked, and his best friend is Derek Lalonde, who uh, at that time just became the Toledo Walleye head coach. So it was just kind of a perfect storm of connecting the dots and getting that opportunity where Toledo had previously finished dead last the year before, 30, 31 out of 31 in the league. And then my best memory, we had a lot of great memories, <clears throat> was that first year of just basically – they, they signed a whole brand new team except one player from the previous year. And then we went from worst to first. So that whole year was a great ride of, of revamping a whole organization of uh, a, a city that was kind of down and sick of losing teams where all of a sudden we slowly started to see the rise and the culture grow. And now the expectations are until you know, that, that they finished first place uh, year after year and, and they're still searching for a championship. So a lot of great memories uh, that year was uh, a, a fun year we made it to the west the uh eastern conference final we lost in triple overtime of game seven and uh that was a memory that i'll, I'll also remember forever but i was on the other side of, of losing a big game there yeah that's that is one thing is that you remember your best moments as a goaltender but at the same time you remember your worst so you go play one more year in france in 17 18 and then you start you kind of then uh well then i guess you said you you your career just ends up coming to an end, but then you decided to really take a deep dive into becoming a goaltending coach. How did you really get your start with Future Pro? I think you'd said you'd started goaltending or being a goalie coach back in, I think, 07, I think I read somewhere. How did that become, how did that relationship begin with Future Pro? Yeah, I, uh, I grew up <clears throat> as a youngster in the Detroit area working, working various goalie schools, um, just around here. And then, um, when I was up at Michigan state, I would, uh, run their goalie program for their summer camps, my freshman year. And then again, my sophomore year going into my sophomore summer, I guess. 
And so I, I got the idea that at that point back in 2007 that I wanted to start my own goalie school for that summer of 2007 because, you know, I, I had a lot of experience already, even though I was only still a sophomore in college. So I actually started a goalie school called Post to Post Goalie School, and I ran that for five years <clears throat> yeah, during my time in college and during my first couple of years in the minors. And we grew it uh, to a nice little level where we had three different locations and we hired a couple workers that would work during my time that I was playing. They would be doing work during during the hockey season. And then uh, in 2011, I ended up purchasing the U.S. side of Future Pro. It's a Canadian company that the Canadian owner was looking to sell off the U.S. side. So after five years of doing my own camp and a lot of experience in that nature, and instead of competing with the future pro brand, even though a lot of the students would do both, I kind of just took over that brand for the U.S. side of things. And then again, the same concept applied just on a bigger scale that I was kind of organizing and coordinating and running the company while playing in Europe. And I'd have five or six workers back in the U.S., ranging from workers in Grand Rapids and Detroit area in New Jersey, there was a worker. And I would kind of run the ins and outs a little bit throughout my my downtime of playing and then I would come back in the summers and coach all my camps and clinics and do a ton of private lessons and everything along the way and then the cycle would repeat I'd go back and play I'd be gone for the year and then I'd come back in the summer and and run run big camps for 10 11 weeks throughout the summer traveling all throughout the midwest so it was a fun it was a fun process for me you know at the end of the season I was always looking forward to coaching at the end of the summer summer coaching grind of being on the ice consistently coaching and losing my voice week after week i was always excited to go back and, and be a player again so it was, it was a fun process and now obviously the playing part has expired so i've uh you know just recently finally had a, uh this year of being here full-time coaching and um getting involved with various entities yeah, because you're not just with Future Pro. That's the big thing too. Is that you know some people like to stick to one goalie school. You actually do more than just Future Pro. You also work for Total Package Hockey as well as Suburban Sports there on the east side of the state, which has I, I forget how many rinks Suburban has. I know there's Farmington, Macomb, there's at least five or six, and yeah, including the one east side. Yep. yep. Yeah, five. Yep. Yeah, and how? I mean, does that kind of just does it kind of just make the schedule a little bit tighter for you, or is it you know something that you really wanted to pursue? Because now you're not just helping out one brand; you're helping multiple hockey programs. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, the the position is, is something I'm very passionate about. I played for 27 years, and and have been coaching you know since 2007, a long time. And so I, you know, I, I view my my company name is actually Lurg Inc but I do business as Future Pro. That's one entity of it. And I've been hired just throughout as, you know, the TPH directing a goaltender for, for the Detroit region. Um, and then Suburban has the five locations of Tier 2 hockey. So I'm their director of goaltending where where I supply my goalie coaches um, to their to their ranks at, uh, throughout, uh, you know, from East Lansing all the way to Macomb. And then the third part is, Part of that suburban, they actually own the name to Honeybait now, the AAA program that I grew up playing for. So I'm uh, the director of goaltending for the Honeybait Tier One Association. So that's where I spend most of my time during the evening, evening throughout the uh, regular season. And obviously, would have been in the spring hockey is teaching all the Honeybait Tier One goaltenders, boys and girls. And then my coworkers will be at the various Tier Two organizations across uh, Metro Detroit with the suburban teams and then um you know on a weekend i could be running one of my future pro camps so i kind of 
I have four or five different track suits that I change into uh, <laughs> throughout uh, the day sometimes, um, just representing different entities. But for me, it's all uh, it's all under one roof in my mind. It's just you know different entities that are, that have hired uh, our services. Yeah, it's certainly unique for you to come back to Honeybaked, almost like a full circle of your whole career. And I, and it's it's interesting because you know a lot of goaltending coaches, you know at least the popular ones, didn't necessarily play or they they didn't play in today's age. You have been able to you you came into Michigan State around right around the what we call the post lockout era of the 0405 season, and that's when goaltending really started to change from you know the simple Jas Shagir Patrick Wad drop down block butterfly to more of an athletic style similar to yourself. How have you seen goaltending change from when even when you played at MSU to nowadays, and even through your days in Toledo and you know, European leagues? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a, a pretty big change even from my time in college. Yeah, it's a very well-covered position in terms of coaching. The goalies are starting to get high-end coaching at younger and younger levels, I believe. So I think the fundamentals are learned a lot quicker. Um, obviously, the in-tight and post-play has been an extreme revolution on that. Since uh, my college days, that wasn't as... Um, utilize the, the post-seal RVH position. So in that regard, a lot of goalies just have different style, different form. Uh, slowly has gone away with the smaller athletic goalies and goalies that kind of fly around all over like I had to and much more positionally sound, bigger goalies uh, are desired. And that's uh, all about, you know, moving less and covering up more space as much as possible, which obviously in theory makes sense. So it's a good theory, but at times, obviously the skill level is, uh, is definitely not as high as, uh, as some smaller guys that, that have to work harder to cover more space. So I think I've seen a pretty big drastic change in the position. You know, I was probably a decade too late for, for my size uh, when it comes to trying to prove myself at the highest professional level. You know, I grew up watching small athletic goalies, you know, locally here, we had Chris Osgood and Manny Legacy winning Stanley Cups. And, and then I'm a, I'm a young kid uh, in Metro Detroit, you know, doing everything I could uh, at every single level. And the next thing, all I hear is I'm too small, I'm too small, I'm too small. But, you know, I, I grew up as a kid watching these small goalies race Stanley Cups. So I definitely saw that revolution take place right in front of my eyes. It's so strange because I still like I love to look at old pictures of old goaltenders and there's pictures of Roji Vesha on back when he was with the Kings and he's down in like a sort of a butterfly half butterfly if you will and his head barely goes to the middle of the net and just how the game was and nowadays I myself I'm six foot two but I go up with you know I skate with you know these pro goaltenders at least I did and and I look around and I'm like man I'm not the tallest guy here anymore You you know back when I was in high school I was towering over everyone but it's so evolved. And of course you have guys like Ben Bishop or six, five, six, six, and it's just turned into, I mean, that's why I guess positioning is so much more important while athleticism is as important in the right spot, just makes all the difference for being a goaltender position wise. Yeah. And that's how, that's how goaltenders are developed now, obviously um, teaching, teaching the movements, even the youngsters, you have to be able to move no matter what your size is. And, if you're bigger, you have to move less. So it's, um, you know, it's really the box control has come into play where you're all about moving, moving less and filling up more space. So a lot of, a lot of concepts have, have, have started to evolve and a lot of it is very, very good in theory. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm always one to stick up for 
the smaller goalies, obviously, because I lived through the hardships of doing everything I could, winning at every single level and, and not being rewarded financially or opportunity-wise at the professional level. So I'm always one to stick up for the smaller guys that are successful. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a tough it's a tough road because, you know, I always bring up the stat that in the last 40 years, you know, look up how many goalies above six foot two have won the Stanley Cup, and you'll find two names. So it's, uh, it's a tough, tough sell to keep telling me six five, six six, six seven. those are the best the uh the best goalies when uh generally they you know i think it's been been proven or through some sort of analytics that people kind of utilize that six foot two height as uh as the perfect height for goalies with um who's there uh you know jonathan quick six one Corey crawford six two those type of that type of height uh holty i think six two so i think that's kind of become the the uh the height but you'll you'll still find many coaches and gms and everything looking for the, the biggest as the best yeah, and then you talked about how sometimes the smaller goaltenders don't get a look. And a guy that came shortly after you left MSU, Sean Hunwick, over at Michigan, he kind of unfortunately had to go through the same thing. Incredible college goaltender just wasn't going to get a fair shake at the pro level. But that said, the game continues to evolve. New players come out. And this was it's kind of a quick drop question, maybe a little pop question, if you will, here, Jeff. Who are some goaltenders that you're working with these days that some people, whether it be in the junior ranks, the collegiate ranks, should keep their eyes on? Uh, well, I guess, you know, I guess at the professional level last year, I actually was fortunate enough to, to work with the goalies in the Red Wing system all throughout last summer, um, worked with, with Jimmy Howard and, and Bernier and, and Kelvin Pickard, the starter in Grand Rapids and, uh, Philip Larson, who was the recent signee and, uh, Pat Nagel is actually someone who I grew up playing against for 15, 16 years. You know, he was up with Grand Rapids for a little bit this year coming from the walleye. So I was, I was actually able to train all the goalies in their organization this past summer and, and we had some plans to do the same this summer but obviously things have changed um you know there's some there's some other you know drew drew de ritter i a few sessions here and there with him but not a lot he has some other goalie coaches utilizes in the area um i really have a lot more now with that 16 17 year old range uh with the honey Bake program <clears throat> you know a couple of their young goalies and a lot of those guys still have to prove themselves at the junior A level, so I don't uh, don't really need to name drop them until they continue to prove that because some goalies are great at that tier one AAA level and they, they have to they can't quite get over that hump at the tier one junior level. So I'm I'm lucky enough to coach a lot of good uh, good young uh, 16 17 uh, year olds I guess in this area that are still going to be young and hungry to prove themselves in the future. That's going to be exciting for sure, folks. Make sure you check out Jeff Lurigan all of the great folks there at future pro. We'll put the link down below futurepro.com. We'll also give Jeff and his shout out to TPH as well and give all the shout outs. So, cause, um, are you guys going to, I mean, obviously everything's still up in the air of what's going to happen in the near future with this pandemic and whatnot. Are there, you know, are you guys just kind of waiting to see when everything opens up or are you guys hoping that you're able to get some camps in this summer or how is that kind of working there at future pro? Yeah, well, the summer camps are are in 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 limbo right now, and uh, unfortunately for me, that's those are kind of the three biggest income months of my whole year. So, kind of uh, a little downer on that front because I work we work hard all year to to get those summer camps. We have twelve weeks that we offer across the Midwest, and uh, we work hard to see as many students as possible, and obviously bring them for a good week of training in the summer. So I've already had to move the, the camp that is in Toledo. We had we had that set for early June, 
we bump that back to later in July. Um, we do have a camp planned in East Lansing from June 15th to 19th. Still holding out a little bit of hope that that region can kind of get bumped into phase five at that time and, and open up with some restrictions, obviously, but more than likely that will be bumped back to an August date that I have set. And, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm guessing it and anticipating that we won't start doing some form of camps until July and just kind of cram as, cram as many as we can in different locations for July and August and, uh, you know, utilize you know, some more private ice and some of the synthetic ice and then my garage here for some training options because uh, that's the best we can do right now. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely feeling the brunt of it with everything being closed, but um, it's definitely not due to a lack of interest in the hockey community. It's, the hockey community, I think, has hit its hit its uh, edge right now when it comes to sitting at home and not skating because everyone's getting a little bit antsy. So uh, let's try to provide as, as many safe options as we can uh, once we get the green light. Yeah, we're definitely all waiting for that day for sure. Once again, folks, Jeff Lurk joining us here on the Kuehl Podcast. Check him out, futurebro.com. They have not just uh, camps in the summer, but they also have private lessons as well. So if you have a young goaltender or an aspire young goaltender, give them a shout. They have coaches from all around the Midwest area. And of course, you have all of our friends in Canada. They have plenty there as well. Jeff, thank you very much for taking the time here today on the Kuehl Podcast. Talk about your career, what you're doing these days, and let's hope you're on the ice coaching soon. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. Thanks for uh, being with all many of you. Thank you. Yeah, you have a good one there, Jeff. How are you too? Thanks. Take care. You know, Ty, that was a great interview. Great oh, stuff. Great stuff right there on offense. It's, I, it's I, so I, interesting because having watched him and everything and then kind of following when he came back to Toledo, it's just... It's interesting because I even forgot that he's that he got injured at the end of his MSU career and that kind of hindered him because I don't know if he would have ever made the NHL. Were you upset that you never saw him in a Griffin's jersey? Because he got called up a couple times. Yes. Emergency backup. He was an e-bug. Well, a pro, like he got called up because he was their team because he was signed to the walleye. Yes. He was loaned to, I think he got loaned to San Diego at one point too because when the Gulls came to town, their goaltender got hurt. And I, I am bummed, yes, because I think because I think you see like guys like Pat Nagel now who are getting a good Pat shot with the Griffins. Pat Nagel, Fair State boy, because he's getting a shot with the Griffins. It would have been nice to see, but at that time, they the Red Wings, I think they still had McCollum. They had coming up through the ranks. They still and they didn't have Peter Mraz. Well, because I mean that that's kind of had, the situation that happened with uh, Joey Mack, right? Joey where, Mack, where Joe, he he just got a lot of time in in Grand Rapids. And he was just able to kind of that's bump why, his stock. That's why he got traded because they had no room for him at that time. Because he got traded in, he didn't win the cup. He got traded, I think, 07. That was when no, Hashik was there. He, Os, you know, yeah, it was 08, 07, 08, because Osgood was there and Hashik. And then he had to get traded. He came back when Jim, when Ozzy had retired. And yeah, Jimmy, it, was, it, was it was Jimmy and Conklin, but then Howard got hurt. And that was the game we went to. One of the games we went to was yeah. Because at that time, Mrazic was with the Griffins. Mrazic, I no, he was still in Ottawa at the sixty sevens at that time. Oh, this, that's, right. that's no, how long. I, rem- ago. I remember how- because we went to that one uh, Red Wings Red Wings game where you were completely sick, and Joey Mack, I had Joey Mack played. I had a fever. Yeah, you had a fever or something. You were yeah, no cowbell was fixing that fever. No, and during that entire time, I remember like. You were just like, oh, Peter Mrazek. Because you have this, th- or you had this thing 
where with the NHL video games, you would obsess over one player for like a, a like a junior. Well, team, don't forget that like was a CHL team. Peter Mrazek, That was right after that World Junior Championship, because where like, he with, stopped, where he was with, doing all the extravagant celebrations and stuff. So like, it? I like him. It was Taylor Hall and the Windsor Spitfire. So you decided to play a be a pro mode with the Windsor Spitfire, and then you did one. That with was the NHL six, slap shot. Yes, well, that was that was still that was video it. game. And then you did one with the sixty sevens. Um, no, you, I never did the sixty sevens. I refused to do the sixty. Really? I liked I liked Morazic, but I never did I the sixty sevens. Maybe it was me then. But you did um, the knights a lot. I um, did. I did the knights. Of course, I love the knights. Knights are my team. Um, Which I'm pretty sure. Them. I'm pretty sure if I talked to Tate Harris again, I probably should tell him that because he's a Windsor guy. Tate Ferris or Tate Harris? Harris uh, from the OHL podcast that we okay. had a couple weeks ago. Big Windsor guy. But anyways. Um, we should probably wrap this up here because it's probably already over three hours at this point as we're recording just the voiceover. You know today. what? People are in quarantine and especially with podcasts and stuff, it is a great thing to do if you're just doing something random and you just want some background noise or if you're, that's what we are. Or if, you, or if you're listening just purely on the fact of you're interested in what we have to say or what we like to talk about. I mean, we've had goalie coaches on the last two you weeks. You can just of the pause show, it so. and save it for later. Later. It's like it's like when you buy when you're when you're living by yourself and you don't have a roommate and you just buy a chocolate cake. Ugh. You don't need to eat it all in one sitting. Just save it for later. Yes, you know what happens though, Alex. If you're like me and you're not paying attention, guess what? You that just cake just starts cake. to go away and go away. Next thing you know, oh, the cake's gone. See, pro that's- tip: if you decide to do that and you buy like a, a a cake, get a chocolate cake if you like chocolate, and then. Um, also get a tub of ice cream because then you eat the ice cream with the chocolate cake. Then your stomach gets full with the increased mass and cold of the ice cream. Yes. Then therefore you waste less cake with mindless eating. So yes. And with that useful information from Alex. Sports movies. Sports movies with Alex. Yes, it was from last week, but we just didn't have enough time. By that, I mean the interview him and I had just took forever. And I realized that I'm like, well, if we have three interviews, it's going to be a four-hour show. So that it, this last week's interview put on this week's episode. And with that from us here today on Tuesday, May the 26th, we'll say goodbye, but we'll let us from May 19th say goodbye as well. Enjoy. And now for the return that everyone has waited for after a... How long of an absence? Who knows? Who cares? He is back. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the hosts of this QL podcast, it is Alex Kill. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Alex, we've already started the show. Alex, Alex, Alex. Of the Kill podcast. I am your host, Alex Kill. I'm going to the insider of the insiders. <laughs> Tyler Keel. I have been waiting to do that for so long. I, I feel- needed to. I need to. I know you had this touching intro and everything, but I needed to do that. You had to do it. And you got to get your face closer to the mic because I know you're listening on your headphones right now. You're talking to me on your headphones. Really? I need to get it closer? Okay. Is this okay. okay, now you're just messing with it. Good Lord. <laughs> I, you're on the show for like 30 seconds and you're already ruining it. I mean, we've had this great flow going. You know how hard it is to talk by myself? Okay, who am I kidding? I've talked to myself for a good 15 years there. That you know during my hawk career, so it's really nothing. Exactly, new. you're a goalie. You're supposed to talk to yourself. Yeah, that's what everyone. I mean, that was when we talked. When I talked with Rachel and Janae last week, that that was pretty much like, oh my gosh, your goaltender makes sense, and you know, if goaltenders are funny. You guys are weird, and I'm like, 
Yes. Thank you. It's yeah. It's, rule number rule number one: never date a goalie. I feel sorry for Kelly, that poor poor soul. Someone had to make the sacrifice, and she did it for all of us. Well, the thing is, is that we each have our odd mannerisms, Kelly and I do. And it, when she knew that I was done playing, she thought they mine like would all go away. My superstitions, my routine, everything, everything's he's gonna be normal now. Nothing's nah. gonna no nah. no. Nah. Shoot, you see me at broadcasts. See, I here, am, here, here's I, the real question though: Does it mannerism? If it's Kelly, since she's a female, wouldn't it just be a Kellyism? A Kellyism? Well, Kelly, she does have certain things about her. I will say this: there is a if there is. I don't say it's a Kellyism because she doesn't say it, but when she'll be watching a movie or watching a show and she says she's watching it and nothing can change the channel, but then she's on her phone on Instagram. That's not that's not an ism. That's just that's just behavior. Okay, so uh, behavior, Kelly Kelly Avier Kelly Avier. No, one of Kelly's quirks. One of Kelly's quirks. Yeah, we'll call it that. <laughs> Kelly's up. I can hear you, and yes, I can hear you too, hun. But Alex, fantastic. The reason why I brought you on today, Alex. First of all, yes, I think she's still yelling at me through the door. But I'll just let it go. The reason why I brought you, you on, Alex. The reason why I brought yes. you on. Sports yes. movies. Yes. Sports. Yes. Um. Sports movies, Alex. We've watched yes. a few. Yes. And I know it's been kind of that time when we start, you know, everyone's like looking back at history, looking back at the olden days and whatnot. But now it's like, let's let's look, let's get our intake on everything. Let's let's tell people about what we think of the yeah. movies of the sporting world on the silver screen. Yeah. I'm trying to find every single way possible way to say talk about sports movies without saying talk about sports movies. Let's discuss. We're, we're, we're just going to talk about sports movies, folks. Let's discuss the things about the athletic events portrayed in filmography. All right. Hot take number one. First of all, Alakazam with Shaquille O'Neal does not count as a sports movie. Hot take number two. Even though it has Shaquille O'Neal in it, the Uncle Drew movie sucks. <laughs> I still have never seen that. So I Bro, can't. it's garbage. It's straight trash. I will say this, the just the whole premise of the movie itself is stupid. So it all kind of set up. Literally just imagine like okay. You do you remember, and this is how bad it's gonna get. Do you remember, Alex, the Ewok movie that was made by George Lucas after the original trilogy was done? The Ewok. They I've, I have heard of it. I've seen clips of it. I have never seen the movie in its entirety. So this is pretty much the this uncle that Uncle Drew movie, just on the outside, not ever seen it, almost sounds like the unequivocal sequel to the grown ups franchise. It's just like Eric Shaquille, let's give you a dumb movie with a bunch of people. Oh, and basketball mm. players too. See, no, because well, this is how I see it. That entire movie and the entire premise behind the movie was essentially Kyrie Irving or even just s- some sort of movie producer watching a uh, a social like uh, like a Facebook like video of some of these like basketball players, whether they're professional or not, putting on this this like movie makeup and dressing up as, you know, kind of like Johnny Knoxville used to do in the Jackass movies. Bad Grandpa, yeah. Yeah, it, like, yeah, exactly. Just That's just another situation of they took this idea 
of where they would take someone who's not old, put them in makeup and make them look old, and then he would do these crazy things. But instead of doing weird stunts and breaking through glass while riding a motorcycle, they have Kyrie Irving playing basketball. They have do an actual movie. It's cool, and it's like a seven-minute video. Because I remember they did one with like Peter Forsberg back in Sweden like three or four years ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's Peter Forsberg. Here's the thing. It wasn't a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's that's the whole point of it. It's cool for like maybe two minutes. You know, take a bunch of clips, put them together, make the video, and then you're done. Post it on social media. You don't have to make like an hour-long movie about it. It's just dumb. Why do you think, why do you think, Alex, that Bad Grandpa is the worst of the Jackass movies? Uh, because first of all, Bad Grandpa is not a Jackass movie. It is a Cockhouse production. And second of all, it's um, a, it's just it's Alex. Okay, it's like saying Bandcamp's not an American Pie movie. It's an American or or uh, Beta House or whatever the heck those the Naked Mile movies. Trust me, it's an American Pie movie the same way as Bad Grandpa is a Jackass movie. Whatever. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying. There's no point to it. It's it's bad. The fact that Johnny Knoxville's next movie, where where he did um, what, what's it called, Adventureland. Oh, and it wasn't Adventureland. It was oh, uh, the one where he did all of his own stunts and almost killed himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it was the story, which I mean, it's actually it's an actual true story. What they based the movie off of, where this guy basically made a theme park for himself by himself, and it had all these different like safety problems and all this stuff. And yeah, it's it's darn right that he almost freaking died because that's literally what happened in real life people almost died going to this stupid little adventure park thing that someone basically created in this random field with hills i'm looking up this movie right now because i gotta i gotta get it i gotta figure it out because how the movie that just the one with johnny knoxville the, the one i was just talking about yeah i gotta find it because it's, it's so bad it's so bad oh gosh where is it Let's see. John, okay. Johnny Knoxville, IMDb. That's the best way to go. Let's see. Filmography. Imdub. Where is it? Action Point. Action Point. That's what it's called. That's, yeah, that's just. Uh, great movie. Great movie. Apparently, there's, want... apparently there's going to be a Jackass 4 in 2021. <gasps> oh, yay. First of all, two things I want to ask questions about. A, will they make any mention of Ryan Dunn and B will Steve-O still be doing stunts while sober. They get worse for him every time I swear, but let's get into other sports movies that Alex just doesn't want to rip to shreds. Cause you know, that'd be yes. great. Let's we'll kind of go down by each sport and we'll kind of maybe veer off a little bit. You know, there's been so many racing movies, Alex, that we've seen. And just because we grew up, you know, watching NASCAR and following NASCAR, my favorite racing movie will always be Days of Thunder. I don't for just for my son. And I know Kelly hates it. Then again, she hates sport movies. So that's just how it goes. But I have always been a fan of it. I saw that movie long before Top Gun. And I still think Days of Thunder is better than Top Gun. Why? Because it's maybe it's because I'm just biased towards racing. Uh, that's fair. So so that's like so. That's the end of your sentence. That's basically what you're going with. Days well, of Thunder. Well, I mean, there's so I was waiting for your kind of take on it because I love. Well, I mean, there's, okay, well, there's so many others, though, too. Right. Well, see, here's the thing about racing movies. 
and and I, I I love racing movie and and Days of Thunder is just a phenomenal movie. I love Tom Cruise. Completely inaccurate, um, but I mean, <laughs> it that's fine. It doesn't matter. It it's a great movie, and that's the whole point. A movie's not supposed to be completely accurate. It's supposed to be a good movie. That's the why you make movies, unless it's supposed to be an actual like documentary, right? Or a biopic or whatever. Um, but you see, like. I like certain racing movies for what they are. So like you go back and you watch the, like the old speed racer movies or like the new one that they made, like, oh, like years and years ago. Oh, that's a good gosh. movie because it's like, it's part of like the, the comic book culture kind of thing. And I know people tore that one to shreds just because, Oh, it's just too much. It's too colorful. There's, and I'm like, I, I get why they don't like it, but it's like, it was ambitious. Yes. Yes. But, but the original uh, now the original TV show, the ones that I'm pretty sure Dad saws the DVDs for, that was still good stuff. But then again, I think oh, t- yeah. I think TV shows are for a different time, I believe. Yeah, but um, I would say I would say my favorite racing movie, and I want to say it's a movie. I don't think it's like a docu series. Tyler, you remember we had this on the the dvr on the the old direct tv the the movie the like the dale earnhardt movie three three okay that was the movie yeah barry peppers barry pepper was the played dale yes and he was a phenomenal dale he looked like dale he did the mannerisms like dale basically um oh what's his name the actor that uh jk letter kenny all right no wait what letter kenny letter kenny letter kenny oh um Hell, oh my gosh. Hold on. I'm going to figure this out. I'm out. Jared Kiso. There we go. Yeah, Jared Kiso. Um, how he portrays or what he is for Don Cherry is what um, that actor was for Dale Earnhardt. He took the entire essence of who that man was and brought him back to life. That's why I love that movie so much. And also the fact that. I mean, come on. You can't really compete against the freaking Intimidator. Come on. Well, the funny thing is that in that movie, Barry Pepper, who really hasn't done, he didn't really do much more. I think he did Flags of Our Fathers. But Barry Peppers and, because J.K. Simmons played Ralph Earnhardt, his dad, in the movie. Yes. And it's so funny because I love looking back at that because I'm like, if you could put two actors that actually could look like the guys they're portraying, it's those two guys. Look exactly. at pictures of J.K. Simmons. Look at pictures of Ralph Earnhardt. Almost identical. On the Grand Rapids Press, I remember the morning before they before they premiered the movie. Because I remember that was the night Matt Leiner won the Heisman Trophy because it was right after. I remember all this very vividly. I was at Nana's house when I watched it in the basement. Back on the old mattress thing she had down on there. I remember yep. watching that movie. And they had literally hanging up on a toolbox. It was Barry Peppers on one side and a picture of Dale Earnhardt on the other, making it look like they were hanging out. Almost identical. I'm just like, that is called good casting. And yes, there were some omissions in that movie. There were some interesting, there were some, um, I mean, it's based on a true story, yes. And some of the timeline got a little fuzzy and whatnot. But it was... It was good. Now the kid that played Dale Jr. though, I could have done without because that he'd look nothing like him. Oh, nothing. okay. But here's here's the thing: Dale Jr. is such a hard face to replicate. It, it, it they got very lucky 
with the casting of Dale and Ralph. You can't get all three. That's true. Let alone um, Earnhardt's other son. Frick, what's his name? Um, uh, Bub, is it Bubba Earnhardt? No, no. no um, um, oh, good golly. Starts with a B. No, it's not. It's not oh, man. This is going to hurt because Jeffrey. Jared? Not Jared. Jeffrey Earnhardt is his great net or great nephew. The one that races in the cup series right now. Oh God. Um, oh, oh my Lord. I'm looking this up right now. Cause it's killing me. Cause I remember, cause I watched the Dale documentary a couple years later. Carrie, Carrie Earnhardt. Earnhardt. Yes. Thank you. Cool. Cause I, I knew that he had, uh, a kid named Carrie Earnhardt, but I, I keep for like, Carrie and Kelly, those two, they kind of get mixed up. Because Kelly's with Dale, and then there was Teresa was the last one. No, Teresa was the wife, um, Taylor. Taylor was the one they had with Teresa, the one he had with Teresa. Yes. The one lady that ruined DEI. Anyways. The the um, baby. Yes. Taylor Nicole Earnhardt. Taylor was the one. Yeah, everyone loved Taylor. Nobody liked Teresa. Anyways. uh, One movie I still want to see that's a racing movie, Alex, is the old Clint Eastwood LeMans movie from the 60s. I because I want to get into more Clint Eastwood movies. I don't know where I could find Lamont's. I think it's on Prime somewhere. Ooh, and, and I, Clint Eastwood movies. Hey, hey not not, Clint, not not Clint Eastwood. Oh, I'm so sorry, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Oh, I was about to say, I I don't rem, I don't remember that movie. So I was just saying. I mean, hey, if you want to get into Clint Eastwood movies, and we're talking about sports movies, Trouble with the Curve. I watched it. We'll like get, hey, we'll, we'll we'll get into baseball movies here in a second. Okay, Hold okay, it there. Okay, okay, okay. But okay. one one that now I will say I do want to go. I do want to see because I still have yet to see Ford versus Ferrari, but I've seen the documentary. Ooh, and I'm a, that's a good one because I love documentaries. I love sport documentaries at least. That's why I've I've literally been just like binge watching Thirty for Thirties when I have dinner now. Like I've watched the the John Daly one the other day, which is great because it plays like his themes, like this, the country song he did like three or four times during the movie. And I'm just like, that's awesome. That's one way to promote your music. The one song he did. I mean, Hey, here, listen, the thing with Ford versus Ferrari, first of all, great story behind it. Second of all, you can't go wrong when you pair Matt Damon and, uh, Oh, gosh, Christian, Bale. Christian Bale, yeah. Christian Bale. Yes. Those two together, and come on, dude, you've got Batman and the Martian together. You're going to win. Batman and the Martian together. But I I still, now, I will say, because we've had stock car racing, we've had, you know, road racing with Ford versus Ferrari and Le Mans, but I think one of my favorites still is, I mean, even though... Are you going to say Rush? I'm going to say Rush. And I say, and I met... You know the worst part about this, Alex? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Mm. Had he lived, Heath Ledger would have been such a better James Hunt. Mm-mm. Just say, no, yes. I, he fits the part more. Chris Hemsworth is this, you know, this muscular man beast and all this stuff, and Heath Ledger would have been perfect. You're telling me. No, 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 no. See, here's the thing. Here is the thing about it. The fact that they used um, Hemsworth is the fact it his entire personality, regardless of the character, just the way he looks, makes it look. It just makes it perfect to um, go against. I'm looking it up right now. The name of the actor, 
um, Daniel uh, Brule, the guy that played Nicky Lauda. Nicky, yeah, the guy, uh, Daniel. I, the only movie I've ever remember him in is he was the one Nazi, the one that's trying to get the blonde girl in Inglorious Bastards. Well, he, he, well, he also, you have to remember also too, he in, um, what was it? Iron Man Civil War. He was the guy that, um, was, right. he was the Hydra guy. Yeah. Or it was not, uh, yeah. Or Captain America Civil War. Yeah. But no. Yep. He was that one. Yep. I remember. Oh that yeah. One. Right. Captain America Civil War. But no, like, think about it. Why is it him with doing freaking Nazi stuff? Seriously. He plays an Austrian and playing Nikki Lauda, but he's got the accent. He's got the accent down. Even though he looks nothing like Nikki Lauda, but then again, Nikki Lauda had a very unique face. Rest in peace, Mister Nikki Lauda. But yeah, the Rush. I still love that movie, even though there are some parts. Like I said, this is the problem with me being a sports historian, Alex. Is that there are parts of these feature films that are based on true events. You're not a sports historian. You're just a sports. Well, I know things like everyone remembers, you know, James Hunt beating up the reporter in a closet after, you know, he asked Nikki Lott about his face. And that's not a true story. That's literally Ron Howard's like, I got a cool thing we can add to this movie. We're going to have you, Chris Hemsworth, James Hunt, beat up the reporter, asking him a fictional question. Did that really happen? Who cares? I just I, that's one thing I do remember from that. But um, definitely a good movie. Yeah, it's still a very good movie because they were it shows how like how fierce of rivals they were, but they were really good friends and. They were good friends throughout and um, through the actual they story. Were, they were good friends through competition. One movie I would be interested to see if they would ever do it just because they did a movie like Rush and Three for Dale Earnhardt would be either, I don't want to say Ari Tinsena or Michael Schumacher, but one of those two guys I think would be a good mm. idea for a movie. Because I've seen the Senna documentary, which was awesome. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but it was. And I mean, Schumacher itself, I mean, his, I mean, I think just because of how great of a driver he was, I don't know if he would have been good as long had Senna, you know, lived and whatnot, because he would have, I think Senna would be 54 right now. I don't know, but Senna would be a definitely an interesting, I'd a movie that I would definitely pay to see. You see, I like that idea, but I think the reason why a movie like Rush and a movie like three, they work so well is because they are able to take not necessarily like a dark side about things, but there's a lot of drama behind it. Like, cause like with Rush, there was literally a catastrophic incident that was in, that's completely involved in the movie. And it's, it's like a, a major part in it. And, and it, then with three, you have the, the drama part with it is the obviously like the backstory of Dale Earnhardt and his, you know, kind of upbringing and stuff, but also the fact that he was literally a persona. His nickname was the intimidator. He, and he basically perfected a type of racing that was used since racing's beginning and then applied it to modern stock car racing and became this entire aura around him. That's why, that's why like one thing, one movie that I would like to see, and it, it, it kind of, it's not about racing. It's more about baseball. If they took the battle between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, and you made that a movie, a feature, but film, then again, they are doing the 30 for 30. I think it's coming out in June or July. Which is where are they? Where are they actually? Yep, they're doing it in June or July. The because they're doing Yo. it. There's, 
I know, because it's got Mark on, and Sammy. Now. Sammy Sosa looks so pale, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because he's getting older or whatnot. It probably but, is. And, of course, I remember solving their picture on the wall in my old bedroom. But, let's, let's yeah, let's go. That's a good way to transfer over to baseball, Alex, because there's been so many over the years. The Natural with Robert Redford. I can still watch that movie and enjoy it, even though I think that was an 84 that movie came out. You know, there's the Major League series. Okay, Major League and then Major League 2-ish. I don't talk about Major League 3 at all. There's, oh gosh, there's so many good ones. And you did talk about Trouble with the Curve that you did see recently. Yes, good movie. But for some reason, Alex, I can only ever think, whenever someone says, what's your favorite baseball movie? The first one that comes to my mind all the time is Sandlot. It's it's so hard, even though there's only baseball for really half of the movie. It's just it just symbolizes youth and summer and good times. And yes, a little bit of America's pastime. I get it. I get it. But it's it's definitely a good movie. No, I'll go ahead, Alex. No, no, no. You you keep going. You keep going. Well, because I might say my second one's probably Bull Durham. Just because I know I don't think you've ever seen that really? one. Really? I okay, listen, Susan Sarandon. Ever since I really started watching Rocky Horror Picture Show, Susan Sarandon's always had a soft spot in my heart. And Kelly knows that too, because she makes an appearance in a couple episodes on Friends, so she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And Kevin Costner. I mean, listen, Kevin Costner and baseball movies just go hand in hand so well. I mean, Field of Dreams, even for love of the game, despite people like, oh, it's so fictional. Well, yes, that's the point. The Tigers beating the Yankees in 2000. That was never going to happen in real life. <laughs> Not going to happen. Even with, yes, with John C. Riley as their catcher and the, the guy that scores a run. But it's uh, Kevin Costner in that movie in Bull Durham. It's just great because there's so many good one-liners. You know, there's the mound visit. and I mean, the best part about it is knowing how Tim Robbins is, is, is as Nuke in that movie. Just seeing him then watching like a movie like Shawshank after that, seeing Tim Robbins, I'm like that's a good range of a character because of how like how young and inexperienced he was, and thinking like five years later he's doing one of the greatest movies of all time. This shows a good actor how Tim Robbins is, and then just the movie itself, just a comedic love affair with baseball. Like I use I I'll watch it just because of the laughs. The baseball itself, dude, dude. But here's the thing though, you talk about baseball and laughs. Two movies that I can think of, right? Well, first of all, I, I will have to say, for the love of the game with Kevin Costner, phenomenal movie. Phenomenal. The fact that, like, Michigan sports fan watching a movie with the Detroit Tigers in it and they actually win something, that's a plus. That's a and plus. This, this was pre um, stacked Detroit Tigers winning the uh, the American League. Or was yeah. it the Nat? No, it was the American League. Yeah. 2000, back when they were just moving over to Comerica and sucking big time. Yeah. But no, you want if you want to talk about movies that are like hysterical, like funny stuff, I got two for you right here. Bad News Bears, the one with um, the newer one, not the old one. Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, the one with Billy Bob Thornton, because that's hilarious. And then also, A League of Their Own. There's no crying in baseball. It, the movie literally has Madonna in it. The movie It's hilarious. A League of Their Own's great because it is legitimately the Rocky of baseball movies because they lose in the end. If I'm not mistaken, right? I think uh, so. 
yeah, oh gosh, it's been so long since I've seen it now. But that is a great movie I, too. I don't, I don't know, I don't remember if they lose because that was an early in the career. I mean, that was, I think that was before the year before Saving Private Ryan, Tom Hanks. It was that was I don't say it's early on in his career, but it was getting to that point where Tom Hanks it's... became a big time A list actor, and he's like, I'll do this little sports movie. How bad could it be? It wasn't bad at all. It's one of the best baseball movies of all time. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I think this one might have been post Forrest Gump. Because Forrest Gump Maybe? was 92. Because, gosh, Tom Hanks was the guy in the early 90s. He, I mean, he did Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump was 92. And League of Their Own was 93, correct? They have it listed here on IMDb as 92. So I'm going to say that they were just basically at the same time. And I'm just going to say that. 94 was Saving Private Ryan. Around that time, they were Sleepless in Seattle. And he did all these movies at the same Like Honestly, it, it was just this push. And he's like, I'll do a sports movie, too. What, what's the worst that could happen? And it just and it, Tom Hanks was just hot, and he was getting a lot of movies. And then he became everyone's favorite dad. After Cassidy, yeah. of course. I mean, he's just got a dad face. He's ha- just how it is. Except in League of Their Own, where he just has this big lump of tar up in his lip. Big bunk of tobacco. But, so, I mean, what, um, what would you say, Alex, is your favorite baseball movie? Okay, so, favorite baseball movie... <sighs> okay, I'm going to give... Like just like with the racing thing, I've got two like runners up. I because I would say two finalists. The, rook, the rookie is uh, a is a phenomenal movie. It's a good story. Um, the movie Forty Two is a great uh, biopic. Couldn't if, I can't believe I didn't think of that one. Chadwick Boseman. That was back when I thought I'm like, oh great, he'll never be a good actor because all he can do is just you know portrayals. Because I think he did the James Brown movie there shortly after. And then he and then he became a legitimate actor. So I'm like, okay, he's actually good. Oh yeah, no, just the guy that decided to be Black Panther. No problem. No problem. No problem. But no, that's a phenomenal movie. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch 42. You know, do whatever you can to watch that movie because it's it, it's it's a great movie, and everyone who is even remotely a sports fan should watch it. Or even if you're not a sports fan, but <clears throat> my favorite sports movie or my favorite baseball movie of all time has to be Moneyball. And the, uh, I, another movie, there's so many sports movies of each of each sport. It's crazy. And Moneyball and cause Brad Pitt is just, he's such a good actor. I mean, it, he's such a good actor. And then also the fact that he, he just has this thing that he, he brings to every single movie that he just takes a character and he just makes it that much better. Like, I'm sorry, but this movie, it, oh, it's just so good. Cause you have like, you have Brad Pitt, you have somewhat younger, um, Chris Pratt in it. You, you have, um, yes. Oh, Cause he plays Hattenberg. That's right. He wasn't oh, even that big name? of an actor yet. Pratt was. No, he wasn't. But he still he still played that role, and he was like, he was still so, he was still doing so Parks and Rec. He was in Parks and Rec at the time still. Uh, no. Well, yeah, because that was that movie was what, two thousand and eleven. See, I don't I don't know. It might have been during the time 
that um, Parks and Rec kind of had a break or something because in Parks and Rec, you you can kind of remember that his character was kind of on the like slightly heavier side. Like he wasn't like a fit dude. And then he comes into this movie and he's kind of like a, he looks like a baseball what's, player. What's the, yeah. Like, yeah. It's like kind of like a baseball player where you're kind of like, kind of like a baseball player where he plays baseball. Yes. Alex, that, that's how a baseball player works. He plays, yeah, and ba- then, plays baseball. And then you have, uh, Oh, uh, what's his name? Jonah Hill. Hill. Yeah. Just, you have, you have a great cast. You have this great story and they played it to perfection. And also I just, you don't see too many movies where they make the movie about like the general manager. It's, it's very rare for that to happen. And then also even more rare for the movie to actually be good when they try to do that. And that that movie compared to a movie such as the rookie, it's so much more, it's so close to the actual true story of the 2002 Oakland athletics because the winning streak was correct. How they were winning games was correct. You know, every, like how they lost Giambi and Damon to free agency was part near on point. That's the part for me that gets me with that movie is just how realistic it is and how true to the story it is. Cause sometimes you see with those movies, Ford versus Ferrari, kind of a similar way is that how it, it kind of deterred a little bit at some points from the actual true story. Moneyball is part near exactly what Billy Bean and the rest of the Oakland A staff went through to get to that point to be from, you know, still a competitive baseball team with nothing, nothing at all. It's, it's just a good movie. I, that That's just bottom line. Bottom line, good movie. Let's jump, let's jump to basketball. I, I don't know how many more sports we can really go into. I'm trying to think of other ones. I mean, there's a lot, dude. Is there really, is there really a soccer movie we want to talk about? A soccer football movie. Is there really one that, I mean, cause you know what? All right, fine. We'll, we'll, instead of going to basketball, we'll go to soccer movies. Cause there's, I'd say for me, there's less. Um, I know there's obviously some good ones out there, but I can't think of too many that are just go all out to see. But I mean, give give us a couple Alex that you know that you really liked. I know we always watched Goal as a kid, even though it was completely unrealistic. Why? Because Newcastle. That's why it was unrealistic. Hey, hey, it's a good movie. <laughs> it's got David. Be- well, David Beckham was actually like in the second one. That's what people forget. Like when they go. Well, so to- was Z- uh, Zidane Zidane. Zinedine Zidane. Well, yes. Yeah, How can you Zidane. get that so wrong? I'm, I'm sorry, dude. It's been a long time since I've actually cared about soccer. It really has. Ben, to, um, ben to like Beckham is still one of them. I, I I don't want to say that's my favorite soccer movie, but it's dang close. I really I I don't know because I okay maybe it's because Karen Knightley maybe that's maybe that's probably what it is for me, but um, I'm really having to look up like soccer movies now just to kind of get some on top of my on. On my, like in my head to think about because like there's like documentaries of course and you know they did a 30 for 30 on Hillsborough the tragedy with you know with Liverpool and whatnot and there was the 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 they did a movie on the Busby Boys the uh, the plane crash in 1950 that killed almost all of the players from Manchester United but it seems like with soccer with like football for that matter it's almost like there's more documentaries and like like 
I guess more popular movies are the documentaries of of soccer and football. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it then again, it's just harder to try to portray like to that mainstream media because soccer is such like a it's not a huge sport in the United States as whereas like football is or racing. But one movie and Tyler, I'm surprised that this one didn't come to your mind because you actually like this movie more than I did. The Game of Their Lives. That sock. You you know that movie, remember? Yeah, that was that was good. I mean, because it's kind of a true story. I mean, the the simple fact that you know the U.S. team getting into the World Cup is in itself. I mean, back in those days, especially, is great. The goal was a trilogy. I'm sorry, I, I went on Bleach Report to look up, and it's a top ten sports movies of all time. I guess goal was a trilogy. Yeah, it was. We don't need to talk about the third movie. The I, second movie was on the border as it is. I never saw the third one. That's interesting. But I'd rather watch the Will Ferrell movie. The oh, kicking, kicking and, and screaming. screaming. Oh gosh, I'd ra- I'd rather watch that movie. To like be I quite said, honest with you. Like I said, it seems like documentaries are more synonymous with soccer than yeah than actual feature films. Yeah, the so. D- D- the Maradona movie was good. Well, of course, I love those. Like I watched the 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 well, there was the nine for nine, not the thirty for thirty, but one of the ESPN specials on the the nineteen ninety nine U.S. women's soccer team. That itself was that was pretty good because you see, because they literally had behind the scenes footage, literally someone with a camcorder recording everything they were doing. Like even during the game, someone had a camcorder on the sidelines, and I'm like, if I did that during a game, my coach would have killed me. But then that's again, fair. that's then again. That's, a different sport. It's not like hockey, which we'll get to here in a minute. Okay. What, what's, what's the next sport you want to go into? Cause I think, I think the last thing that we got to do is like, like special mentions for movies that are in like certain sports that aren't common. Cause I have like a couple, I know for a fact. Okay. I mean, we'll do like hockey will be our last sport, but I mean, basketball for me is interesting basketball. because okay. I love Hoosiers but there are other like Glory Road's a great one, and Coach Carter. Given, I mean, it's a different kind of meaning and different tone with that movie, but that's a great one. And I mean, there's so many more out there, but that's another thing for me. I mean, given just, I know you haven't seen The Last Dance yet, which I'm pretty sure now people are hear me say that, and they're just gonna feed on to you. I'm like, how have you not watched The Last Dance? Well, I haven't had access to uh, ESPN Plus until today, so even though you had ESPN. And- but anyways, but now you can well, watch it. But now you can binge watch it. Do you think it. that I really watch actual TV, Tyler? Come on now. I know. It's the 21st century, blah, blah, blah. Get real. If it's not streaming, I ain't watching it. You know what's funny, Alex, is mm-hmm. that in this two decades, this first two decades of this 21st century, we went from everyone needing to have satellite TV to not needing it at all. Isn't that kind of funny? I mean, if you think about it, it's it's just kind of the trend if you really, if you want to really think about it. Cause I mean, uh, I mean, it's evolution really. Like v- that, that is v- what it is. VH- VHS tapes. How long did those really last? Yes. If you want to, if you really think about, think I, about it. Well, the seventies, I mean, I don't, th- I think they don't, they go back to the sixties. I want to say, at the very latest, I would say late 90s is the last 
time that I'd say that they were a viable option to sell movies. And and yes, it it did start in like the sixties. So I'll get so that's thirty years. Thirty years of VHS. We're in what? We're in so this is twenty twenty. So we're in like the third decade currently of having CDs. Well, actually no, fourth. The CDs were in nineteen ninety when they started coming out, I think, right? Uh, no. DVDs, you mean? Or yeah, DVDs. That was yeah. the nineties, right? That yeah. was in the late nineties. I remember when Tarzan came out. We had on VHS, and I saw it on a DVD. I'm like, how do you put this thing? Like four year old me, how do you put this thing in the VHS? And I'm yeah, my yeah, dad yeah, just yeah, went, yeah, oh yeah, dear yeah. lord. And I looked it up. Videotapes actually came around in the mid fifties. So there's that. Hmm. Before then, you had to go down to the cinema or the theater to see the the screenings of the movies. Cinema. Yes, the, the cinema. cinema. But basketball movies, they're what? What would be your? Because fa- I, I think basketball movies, and I'm just there have been a few interesting, like like Mike as a kid was awesome. I watch it now and thinking to myself, yeah, that was the Toronto Raptors downfall right there, having Vince Carter get juked out by a little bow wow. <laughs> it wasn't Vince Carter getting injured and being a sissy about everything. It was the fact that he got freaking his ankles broken. By gosh darn, a rapper that would be irrelevant in three years. They're three years after the fact. Basketball movies summed up two words Space Jam. Oh, how can I? Oh, my Lord. I'm embarrassed now. You should be embarrassed. I am embarrassed after literally saying The Last Dance, greatest thing ever. What? Space Jam. Now, I, because their logo has been released for the new Space Jam, I, I don't. I don't so is think the uniform. No, it's actually been no. That, look it up, Alex. There's a Space Jam logo. They have it and everything. It's ready to go. I don't know what they have to do to film it, whatnot. But I'm just like, all right. If this no, no, is, no, I mean, like Space Jam Two, like the uniform. Oh, the uniform. I thought you said unicorn. <laughs> this is the no. problem with you being on the other end of the phone. I've been able to hear you say uniform. You're fine. I'm not fine to four letter word touch with F, Alex. So, yes, so is beep. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, Space Jam is probably the best basketball movie ever. And, ladies and gentlemen, always remember Bill Murray, one steal, one assist, 11 seconds. Air or 10 Murray. seconds. Air Murray. Air Murray for president. I, I don't vote, but I'd, that'd be the guy I'd vote for. But basketball for us is not just our, it's not the biggest thing. There's only really a couple that come to mind, but football on the other hand, Alex. Football. Football. <gasps> and that should tell you about all the movies we love the most. I, it's so weird because I like, there's so many football movies out there, but replacements just given how, and that's why it's my, it's my, I call it my Phantom Menace comparison. People will harp on Phantom Menace forever. However, that was the first Star Wars movie when we were both alive. You were obviously a year old, so you don't remember seeing it. But for me, that was my first. The Replacements was the first one that I truly remember the most. That The movie that I can at least say, I'm like, that was my first football movie that I fell in love with. That's why the replacements just will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah. 
It's a good movie. It's a great movie in every way. And I Shane Falco. Shane Falco. You know what? Hey, you want okay. Cheap plug here. One thing that's great about having uh an Apple phone and having Apple Music that uh, I don't think Spotify has it, but the entire soundtrack to the replacements is on my phone. That's probably somewhere like it's wait, the soundtrack, like official soundtrack? Yes. Okay. I'm sure there's something like that on Spotify, but but that's awesome though, because it, it's it's such a good movie. It's classic and Keanu Reeves, Orlando Jones. I mean, Gene Hackman is the coach. He's uh, Wadey. He's Wadey. Oh, uh, Wadey. Uh, he's Wadey. Uh, what's the guy's name? Rice, Reese Afons or whatever. Rice Afons. I forget the guy's actual name, but the actor's name that plays Nigel Gruff. But yeah, that movie's just filled with awesome moments and everything, and and seeing, of course. Ever since I watched Birdcage, Gene Hackman, just every time I see him, I can only laugh now. The movie itself, I mean, then again, Birdcage is just Robin Williams and Nathan Lane just being great. Kelly and I actually watched that a couple weeks ago. And she, because I told him, like, who's Nathan Lane? I'm like, Timon. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Such a great movie. <laughs> that movie's just, I know it's not a sports movie, but go watch Birdcage. I mean, it's it. The movie itself is just great. It makes you hate the son, Robin Williams' son in the movie. It makes you want to punch him in the face. But the rest of it's just awesome because it's Robin Williams trying to be serious. And Martha Graham, Martha Graham. <laughs> it's still, uh, that movie still gets me. Sorry, sports movies, not not movies about Robin Williams running a uh, a drag club. But uh, yes, the uh, but yeah, fo- football's got a lot of movies, and that's just because, like, especially this is going back to the fact that. American movies are basically made with American pastimes. So, like, you're seeing, yeah, there's a lot of football movies or movies that have football in them. And baseball is just how it is. Well, yeah, baseball too. Um, But, like, one thing, one movie that, like, it's probably, it's, and it's a movie that we had on VHS. One movie that those, like, my first movie that I fell in love with for, like, football was Little Giants. Oh, yes. That was a good oh, one. Oh man. Um Waterboy is a good one. Radio is a good one. Radio cuz that one that one's a great one too just because of the story and and Cuba Gooding Jr at his I think acting at his finest too because that's such a hard role to do. Yeah. Uh, we are we are Marshall with Matthew McConaughey solid. The I remember watching yard, I remember watching solid. We Are Marshall in theaters and darn near cheering at the end of the thing. Cuz that movie came out when I was 11. Around that time, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I'll be a Marshall fan now. So ever since then, I've kind of always cheered for Marshall, even though I have, like, no connection to the school. It's just an underdog FBS team that, you know, is not the best. But, hey, you know, oh, hey, Randy Moss played there. That's cool. Chad Pennington played there. That's cool. But, you know, I mean, it's a good movie. The Longest Yard. So I've seen the original and the new one. I don't know if it's because when The Longest Yard came out, I was 10 years old. I was into that. Had they're saying adult things, it's hilarious. I like the newer one more than the old one. I I'm sorry. Like I and I love Burt Reynolds, and I love Burt Reynolds is not the star of that. Movie. No, Burt Reynolds was the original Paul Crew in the first, the original Longest well, Yard. Yes, yes, I know, I understand that, but I'm sorry, but the 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 whole point of the Longest Yard being how funny it was is the fact they had legit 
comedians in there. Chris Rock, like, just Chris. Chris Rock, Joey Coco Diaz. Um, they freaking had Michael Irvin in there. Come on, um, Mike, uh, Mike, um, Terry Crews. Yep, Terry Crews, freaking Goldberg. They had I'm sorry. What? They had legitimate football players in it. That's the funny. Yeah. Like people forget, like Terry Crews and Bill Goldberg were actual football players. Yes, and they had. Oh, didn't they have? Um, oh, it's not. It's not Fifty Cent. Um, Nelly. Oh, Nelly. Nelly. Yeah. They oh had my Nelly gosh. Nelly, the running back. Whoa, whoa, how goes his name? Um, oh, I forget the guy's name in the movie. I forget his character's name. But like he's uh, running with he's real quick. But. No, that movie itself was just great. And Michael Irvin versus Adam Sandler playing basketball. It's just wonderful. Because Irvin was, what, 10 years out of the league at that time. Yeah, you baby bet. Beep. It ain't easy being cheesy. Cheeseburger was, Eddie. Oh, my gosh. That was my first, like, ever. Uh, something. Oh, yeah. Nelly's name was first Something thing. Maggot. He was named Something Maggot. Oh my gosh, we got to forget about the guards. Freaking Stone Cold Steve Austin. Got yeah. Kevin Nash. You got, gosh darn, Brian Bosworth. The boss. Dude, like, seriously. Like, the <laughs> itself is just great. The movie's just stacked. I'm sorry. They, wait, was that was that Great Collie in there? Or was that a different That was Great Collie. Great Collie was, yeah. Yes. He, oh my gosh. Seriously. I. Hold on, I'm just I, I'm just gonna pull up the entire IMDb. Of pull up the cast quick. because I listen. I give Happy Madison so much crap for the dumb movies that they did that he, Adam Sandler did, like Grown Ups and stuff, and Pixels. The only reason I ever watched Pixels is because hey, it's video game stuff. That's kind of cool for me. But uh, that was Adam, the peak. Okay, so I got so this is these are gonna be like all of the like the the good ones. But then again. Everyone is basically just a good one. So you got Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Nelly, Bob Sapp, who he was a Swatowski, the really like because um, I think he was a wrestler. He was in because I remember I remember did watch the behind he, the scenes because that's what yeah, I do. He's I like, think, oh, he came from Japan. He, I'm like, he wrestled for New Japan. Yeah, I think he also did like boxing for a little bit or uh, maybe mixed martial arts. Um. David Patrick Kelly, who was Unger, he's a solid actor. Terry Crews, Bill Goldberg, um, Joey Diaz, I said. Tracy Morgan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Miss Tucker. Damn right. Uh, Burt Reynolds, Michael Irvin, um, Bill Romanowski, Brian Bosworth. Oh, Bill, I Kevin, forgot Romanowski was on there. Yep. Yep. Kevin Nash, Steve Austin. Um, uh, oh gosh, there, and then, um, oh, what's they had Jim Rome in there and and Dan Patrick? Uh, so Jim Rome did, yeah, because no, they had Dan Patrick as one of the cops, and then they, I forget who the other guy was, the other guy, the other cop in that movie had played in a bunch of TV series. Oh my gosh, Courtney Cox was his girlfriend or whatever. Courtney Cox, or it was, I think it was Courtney Cox. I think her, her David Arquette had divorced at that point. Yeah. But then also there was Jam- also James Cromwell, by the way. Yep. And then, but yeah, Jim Rome was in the Lord. movie. Chris Berman was the brought, was doing play by play, which is exactly why nobody ever watches, wants Chris Berman to do play by play. 
They can do his WAP and stuff in the highlights. That's great. But him doing Whoop. actual play-by-play is just, Whoop. you know. Whoop. Longest yard's great. Gosh, there's so many good ones. And, I mean, well, remember the Titans for me. It's just, it, it's probably the most dramatic, the one that, I, my favorite dramatic football movie that I like. Didn't like that movie. I gotta I, be honest with you. I get why people don't like it, but the story in itself is great for me. I think that one's also historically ac- inaccurate. I love how I love Friday Night Lights, the show, more than I did the movie. But the movie itself was so like I get the book; it's the book. But the movie itself was so far off from the truth that it hurts to watch nowadays. Nah, you got you got to watch Friday Night Lights, the the movie. Good old R- the Riggins boys. No, that's the show. The thing in the show. You said the show. Oh, that, did I say the movie or the show? You said the movie. Oh, well, you got to watch the movie. You got to watch the, the show. Gosh darn it. Watch the movie. The show. But watch, watch the, show. the show. Screw the movie. The watch show. The show. The show is where it's at. They Yes, they did take like, hey, let's turn it into a TV show. Okay, cool. Is it going to be about the mo- book? No. We're just going to be just something completely different. They're not going to be from Permian. Nope. They're going to be from this town called Dillon. And the quarterback's going to get with the coach's daughter. And that's going to be great. And someone's going to get. And just, hey, it worked. And then the writer strike. Steroids. Steroids. Oh, man. Texas football, man. Final answer. My favorite football movie has to be The Blind Side. Sandra Bullock, period. Period, period, period. Also, the fact that they talked about a very poignant topic of alumni trying to take high school athletes and push them to go to certain colleges. Yep. I'm just saying it's a thing. I, yep. That Michael or yep. That was interesting to say the least, but I'd say my favorite final answer probably has to be the replacement just cause I can darn near quote the stinking thing, but yeah. longest yard's gotta be second. I'm, I'm always for more comedic movies, which will take us into the hockey section of our sports movie conversation today, Alex, because my, my favorite movie of all time, favorite sports hey. movie of all time, favorite movie, anything you say is wrong other than that is Slapshot. And I can, no. and I, and I know, I know you don't, I know it's not your favorite, but I can just go through that movie and just love it because I love a laugh. I love a laugh more than being the dramatic part. But outside of Slapshot, because let's be honest, I believe Slapshot is one of. It's one of those movies, Alex, that you just could not do today. Does the Love Guru count as a hockey movie? Shut up, Alex. <laughs> you shut your mouth. <laughs> that movie does not count as it's not that's not that's not a movie. That's a disgrace to everything that is good in this world. <laughs> Tom and guess what, Alex? Mike Myers, Mike Myers will agree with me on that. Why? Is it because it exposes the problems of the Maple Leafs organization? <laughs> it exposes the problems with Hollywood. <laughs> That's enough. Of oh, that gosh. we're done talking about that. But no, Slapshot's great, and because but it, it's like watch all the old James Bond films, like the Sean Connerys and the Roger Moores. They wouldn't no. hold up today. You no. couldn't. Though, they wouldn't happen today. And that's why Slapshot is so great because you, you can't ever show it on TV because without severely editing it because there's a lot of things that are said in that movie, Alex, that just in today's society are just like I have to watch that movie in private or with a select group of people that know the movie and know what's going to be said because yeah. 
if you grabbed a couple of friends that had never seen it before, they'll think this movie is wrong, misogynistic, racist, and all this stuff. And I'm just like, uh, 76, hello? It was it was the mid seventies. It was how it was, and you could do that, and still it still makes me laugh. I mean, I won't quote the movie out in public just because of the fact I, I don't I don't want that problem. Yeah. So I guess Alex. Well, let's go into other ones here, because I mean, I I always say that's my favorite one, but it's always great about the other ones, because. Of course, for my birthday, what did we watch, Alex? Because what had happened on my birthday, I mean, long before I was alive, but what happened on my birthday, Alex? What anniversary do I always celebrate when I have my birthday? Uh. Psst, uh on ice. Really? That was on the 22nd of February? Yes. No, oh, I didn't know that. Play along. I, 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 what? There's not. I mean, I'm not really gonna play along. I didn't know that fact. Just go with it. Just say it. The miracle on ice. Yes, Alex. The miracle on ice. Miracle is, despite it kind of being a little off in some retrospects as well, is pretty close to accurate. The only, the only way that for that movie that makes it inaccurate is first of all that Jim Craig did not get scored on all 10 times in that 10-3 loss to the Soviet Union, and nobody passed the Ruzioni the puck. I'm just saying. The Mark Johnson goal was correct. The tying goal, Mark Johnson's goal, that was right. Okay. All right. You know what? We've had this conversation long enough. I need to say it. There is a difference (laughs) between a documentary and a biopic. You You mean the facts of what actually happened? Biopics are allowed to be traumatized. They are based on a true story. Yeah, Mark Pavlich passing the puck. No, he didn't. He he came off the bench, I think, but he didn't call for a pass. He just picked up a loose puck and threw it at the goal and just hoped for the best, and it worked. They said the celebration right, because, I mean, if they'd gotten that wrong, I would have just given up on I probably would not have liked the movie as much as I did. Think about the storyline with Jim Craig within Miracle the Movie. Well, would it be would it be as impactful for Jim Craig to not take the test and then to be lit up for what was it like six goals that he actually allowed? I bl- or uh, seven, seven or eight, but yeah, maybe maybe it was seven. Janice and, came in for the last two. Yeah. So what what is it more impactful to the storyline? to have Jim Craig get lit up for seven and then pull, bring Janicek in to get scored on a few more times or for him to suffer through a 10 goal, just swamp, just smacking and smacking and smacking. And then being told, yeah, I think we're going to start Janny. And then, no, you, you can't take me out of my net. That's my net. Now I like you know, and now that I do not know for certain. Unfortunately, maybe something that'll be. I mean, that'd be cool to have a Jim Craig conversation. That would be interesting for sure. But I mean, by the way, Jim Jim Craig's the uh, the skates that he used during in the Miracle on Ice, the actual skates that he wore during the game, they actually uh, they went and they sold recently in a in an auction for something. I did see that. Yes, and they went for a good chunk of change. I mean, that's a, that's literally a piece. A, it's a piece of American history. B, it's a it's a piece of Cold War history, and C, it's a p- 
piece of hockey history. So it triples the value. I don't know. It triples the value of old vintage equipment, I guess. But I'm just saying. Mirac- it's, it's solid. Miracle's great, but then I think for me, I don't want to say it's because uh, I hate. Uh, here's the thing, Alex. Here's my problem with the next movies I'm going to say. Hmm. They're my third favorite, and I put all three of them together. We can go into, I mean, personally, the chronological order of the movie is how, you know, the order of how good they are. But for me, I put the Mighty Ducks series all together as one because I love. Well, that's how you that's how you should do it normally. Well, because here's the thing. Some sequels are better than the first one. Like, for example, Dark Knight's better than Batman Begins. But for me, Uh D1, D2, and D3, I think it goes in that order. D1's the best. D2 is the second best. D3 is the worst of the three. But for me, it's just as good. But then again, I think there's more one-liners in D3 more than anything. See, I'm, I'm a real big fan of D3. That's like my, that's, I can't choose which Mighty Ducks movie is my favorite. Cause they're like, they're all my children. I can't, I can't just hate on them all like that. I can't just take one over another, but D3 is a solid movie. It's just, well, here's the funny thing too. Out of all of the movies, it has the most realistic ending. If you ask me, if, if seriously, think of it this way, the first Mighty Ducks movie, the triple deke, Guess what, Alex? That's just a quick shimmy shake and a goal. A goaltender who reads can read a guy's shoulders makes that save. The gosh darn triple deke in D2. It's not Tyler! a triple It's not a triple deke. It's a slap shot. You have to remember the Mighty Ducks movie, the first one. They're peewee hockey. <laughs> who cares? The, the goaltender. The, tri- the triple deke might as well be the Forsberg at the at that point. That would have been more realistic. You know, the fours were going to happen until a couple of years later after that movie. But at least in Nin- D3. 90s peewee hockey. Ah, yes. <laughs> you know, if he could really read the shoulders, he would totally know where that's going. You know what? I need to listen. I'm going to call Joe Messina back, and him and I are going to break down bad goaltending in sports movies. Oh, whatever. Yeah, you have fun with that. I will not be involved with that show because you know what I'm going to say? I can go into the it's young blood movie. Pe- I'm going to go into the young blood penalty shot for days now. No, the well, the ending of D three. Even though, yes, the Eden Hall goaltender diving at Charlie Conway is a little far fetched, and yes, Goldberg taking what felt like an eternity to shoot the puck. Just for some reason, I like that ending more than the better than the other two. But in general, the other two movies I think are the better ones. But just because that one, Alex, and then once again, D three came out after I was born. D1 and D2, because D1 was in 92, D2 was in 94, right after the Mighty Ducks actually came, the real Mighty Ducks of Anaheim became, came to fruition. D3 came out after, and I was like, this movie's awesome. And I, as a kid, and even though you watch it and the sound effects are just god-awful, it's still the great. The horn. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> or was that D2? I think it was in both. They were awful. That's why the D one. That's why Pee Wee Hockey's great. No goal horns. Some goal horns are overrated, except for Dallas's because Dallas is Grand Rapids. And you want to know, Alex? Ready for this hot take? Even though it's actually, no, I can't. I can't knock the Detroit Red Wings goal horn now because it's not a goal horn. It's a recording of the old goal horn. So can't make fun of that. 
But well, yet you you can make fun of it because it's not an actual go horn. If just, you don't have if you don't have a boat horn in your arena, done count. That's why it's fun. I I almost want to say I'm like yeah, the Detroit Rings go horn. It's just a YouTube video of their old go horn. That's all it is. It's the audio from an old one, probably. Oh, yeah. is that? Oh, Red Wings fans are all sour about that. Well, you get them to get the goal horn back, and we'll talk later. Because that's a hey, classic goal horn. I'll say that. Let, let's just be honest here. Nobody, nobody beats Columbus because they have a freaking cannon. It's not a goal. Okay, that's not a goal horn now. It's a cannon. <laughs> they they have a goal horn, and it's part of the goal sequence. They play the goal horn. But that was about to rock. Fire. <laughs> And they have a cannon that boom! It's a cannon. It's a cannon. See, that's why it's like, I'm like, okay, that's not a goal horn, but but other than those three, I mean, miracle, slapshot, mighty ducks, because those three I can just go on for days on about. There are some other great hockey movies, Alex. Yes, there are. You gonna you gonna elaborate you gonna you gonna elaborate there? <laughs> leave us all in suspense. There are yeah. better movies. There, there are. Okay. Um. Okay. Unpopular opinion. I like the Goon movie. Goon Two was also a good. No, movie. I like. I, I like. I like Goon the first one. It's the second one because I watched it. I'm just like, okay, that was a waste of my time. I just I. Didn't I like it. it personally. Didn't like I it. I liked it. Couldn't get into it. The concept of it was dumb and everyone, oh, you can release a guy, then you can sign the last day. It's just, yeah, it just, it was, they, Alex, they Sandlot 3'd it. That's what they did. It was the third Sandlot move is what it was. Just a complete and utter dumpster fire. I don't, even James Duthie couldn't have saved it, Alex. That's how interesting it was. And you know how I love yeah. my Duffy. Sure. What other ones, Alex? I mean, I know, like I said, the first goon was good. And I know um, course, we can go, of course, we can go into hockey documentaries for days. But well, I you know, you could say like the Don Cherry movies, the Rocket. The Rocket um, was see, the Rocket's good. And the heart the thing is it's so hard for me because I like to hear the actual words. Because the movie is shot in French. And you can do the English dub over it, but it's not the same. And I watched the French version over it, and it's great to read the subtitles and see what they actually say, but it's it's harder for me to to watch a foreign movie, even though the story on it's so great. And also, Sean Avery gets his ass kicked, so it's always great, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, one movie that's kind of like that that I didn't really appreciate was the, the Mr. Hockey movie. That one I didn't really like too much. Yeah, that... Yeah, that... Yeah. But... But, but the one movie that is by far the best movie ever, and it is my favorite movie, I don't care what anyone says, I don't care how weirdly unknown it is, it's called Mystery Alaska. Yep. Russell Crowe is a great actor. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's it. I, I remember when I talked with Laura Storian last week, and I remember I, I asked her, I was like, I remember, I forget what context it came up, but I may, I said something about Mystery Alaska. No, it was, um, 
because we were talking about Brendan Leipzig and how dumb he was, and I said the quote from Tree, what happens in the room is said in this room, stays in this room. And Laura's like, Mystery Alaska. And I'm like, hell yeah. I'm like, you know what I'm talking about. But the movie itself, it's so severely underrated. And I don't want to spoil the ending because you have to watch it. But I love how the tagline is Rocky of Hockey, and that should just tell you how the movie's going to end. But regardless, it's uh, it's funny. It's got hockey. By golly, it's got Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, you, just, you Burt need Reynolds. You need a guy, Burt Reynolds. Make him the judge of this small town that I swear to gosh is still twice the size of Lucknow, Ontario, where I played hockey in. And it's it's such a great. It the movie itself is wonderful. There's, I mean, man, I could just go through hockey movies for days. There's Young Blood, which, even don't though, like I, I get why people don't like it, and for me, it's just, hey, Patrick Swayze's playing hockey. That's pretty cool. And even though, well, I mean, that was pretty much '80s junior hockey, though, without the Cooper. Captain arms. Patrick Swayze. Captain Patrick Swayze. I mean, there, there's a couple other good ones too, but yeah, the, that's probably the Mount Rushmore of hockey movies for us, and and. I, I love talking about Mr. Alaska and dad, of course dad. I mean, dad introduced us to that movie. Dad, this is how great our dad was. Dad would let us watch. How old were we, Alex? The first time we watched Mr. Alaska. Oh gosh. Um, I'm pretty sure I was still in grade school. I, I would, I would have to say that I was maybe four years old, five years old. Yeah, and that movie should not have been watched by kids that are seven, eight, or seven or eight and four year olds. Because, oh, Archie. I mean, dead. Well, of course, Dad would still do the cover of the eyes bit and whatever, and try that. And then, thirteen year old me is like, "Why, Dad?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting. What's going on there?" Shoot, I can just go through the entire. I can go through so many movies that we did. I'm just glad he didn't, you know. But then again, he wouldn't ever let me watch the American Pie movies. I had to watch those on my own. Same thing with Slapshot. And then when I finally tell him, like, yeah, I saw Slapshot. I was like, okay, we can watch Slapshot together now. <laughs> but Mystery Alaska, that one was a great one just because of how, just how silly it was. A team from Mystery Alaska taking on the New York Rangers, which, by the way, had none of the New York Rangers. <laughs> Because that would have well, been yes, they they basically sent the Hartford Wolves, the Wolf Pack, the Wolf Pack. Well, yeah, why would you send the superstars? Because hold on, I'm gonna I'm because I always forget because I think it was '94 when it was when Mystery Alaska came out. Mystery no, Alaska, no, 1999 came out in 1999, and they do mention it's funny because you you hear Steve Levy and Barry Melrose mention Wayne Gretzky. They said he had 14 goals this month, and I'm like. Well, that's first of all inaccurate because he only scored, I think, 17 goals in his last season, by the way, just letting you know. And, I mean, you can go into who who all, I mean, because who would have been on that team? 99, that would have been Brian Leach. Mike Richter was the goaltender. Messier. Mess, no, Messier was in Vancouver at the time. He came Close back, in. he came back, I think, the year and a half after Gretzky retired. I do remember that. Mm. But there, yeah, there was some, there were some good, there were some good players on That's that. That's right, Messier played for the Canucks with uh, Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi for a little bit, and Pavel Bure, and then Bure, yeah, Bure. They changed the sweaters to the the flying whale, and they end up 
having a decent, they have an awful year in 97, 98. They have the all-star game. And then Burry's like, let me get out of here. And then he goes to Florida. They have one good year. And then he's like, I hate Florida. Let me go to New York. Oh, I suck now. I'm going to go Let's retire. <laughs> Funny how I he went mean, from. Hey, you, you do what you can for as long as you can. And then you figure out it's just not for you anymore. Burry and Fedorov, that'd be an interesting conversation because those are two guys that were so fast and so good, but they're, I'd say Fedorov had a longer peak than Burry did. So, just so what you're basically asking for is what um, actually happens for like Saturday morning, like drop in hockey. Cause apparently there's like this all-star lineup in Russia that they all play together. It's like Burry, Fedorov, um, oh, I can't even remember. It, TSN posted the article somewhere, and they basically said that yeah, no, like every Saturday morning, these all these like former NHL All Stars play former together. Soviet Union players. Because a, a lot of I think Bure and Fedorov played together uh, for the Soviet Junior team. There was a super line of that sort, I believe. And then there was, of course, Lariana played with Vitisov and Kozlov and them. See, that's another movie that I want to watch. The Russian Five, the one that they released, uh, what was it, last year or two years ago? Uh, it was, I think it was last year. Because I, I remember I literally rented it off of Amazon Prime. Because I didn't go see it in theaters. Yeah. I went to see it and we... Rachel, oh, that's, a, that's another movie that I want to watch. The Probert movie. Okay. Have you watched it? Yes. Is it bad? Is it bad? No, no. Watch it. Watch it. Just be ready for heartache. Just that's all I'm going to say. Oh, it's it's. Is it going to make me cry about Proby? Imagine Ice Guardians, Alex, but just Probert. Oh, it's it's worth watching. It's great. It just hurts your soul. Because he the it just all oh man it the it, heavyweight champion I still uh, have that shirt but I'm I'm probably gonna throw it away soon don't you just, dare throw that shirt away you either get I don't care if I grow if my children grow up as Leafs fans they will love Bob Probert so help me God well I hope your children love sweat stains Ty it's called washing it and bleaching the right spot just calm down I fixed that it's easy right, fine. I sweat in that thing too man trust me I got that shirt when I was eight seven or eight years old. And I wore it to school, and everyone's like, who the heck's that? I'm like, that's Bob Probert. Who's Bob Probert? He cannot The heavyweight <laughs> champ of the world. He is the heavyweight champion. He beat Ty Domi for the belt and never lost it. He just got old, like Muhammad Ali, except we don't acknowledge the fact that Probert ever lost a fight. That's how it went. He lost one Domi fight, and that's the only fight he ever lost. But Did he, did he ever lose to McSorley? Okay, it depends on who you ask. They had some great tilts. I remember there was the one when McSorley was in Pittsburgh in '93, three or four. It was, okay, I was okay. I was what I was about to say was it was one when McSorley lost all of his gear. But I'm like, half of that was Mc, that That's was Mc, McSorley. That was McSorley and McCarty's thing. They were just before the before the fighting straps. It was almost. Like they had to, and I remember there was one fight it was ninety seven ninety eight season. McSorley was playing in San Jose. They fought McCarty and McSorley, and just gear was just flying every which way. And I'm just like, this is because because McCarty would always take off his elbows first. Well, yes, and 
McSorley somehow his shoulder pads would come off, but some way, I don't know if it's the, the type of helmet McSorley had, but his helmet would stay on. He never lost his helmet in a fight. He'd lose every other piece of equipment, but his helmet would stay on. Gosh. I never understood that. It, it's probably, it's gotta be the helmet. It's, it, that thing's gotta be like strapped tight to him. Yeah, probably. But, so we get through hockey movies, Alex, and you know, one we didn't touch on, one sport we didn't touch on, Alex, hmm. was boxing. And yes, boxing's another one of those <sighs> that's genre that's few and far between. But man, there there are some there are some doozies out there. Obviously, yes, the Rocky series. With the exceptions of five and Rocky Balboa. And I've never seen the Creed movies, so I can't say anything about those. But for me, Rocky Four is the best of the of that series. I know some people like three more. How much? How many of the Rockies have you seen, Alex? I've seen all of them. I've seen all of them as well. I haven't seen the Creed movies though. Okay, I know they're on Amazon. Can, but I, can can I say something though? What? As I grow older, and I I watch the movies every so often the less I like the Rocky movies. Well, I get it. Cause, why? Because they miss each other every time? And it's not even that. It's just like... It's just not a good movie. <sighs> okay, the first, like, ro- it, the first it, Rocky it, is it, quirky, it, but I think the fourth one is just because it's so... so emotionally driven. Like, it's a good movie. Or, it's a good story. Don't get me wrong. But it's just not good. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't like the first one. The first one I liked, uh, maybe the second one I liked the least, but for me, three and four are the best of the series. But there's also other great boxing movies out there. I, Raging Bull, I've never, I've yet to see. I know there's some sports fans out there that are slamming their fists down and they're saying, what? By the way, Alex, I just realized this. We totally forgot to talk about Varsity Blues and football. It just kind of came across my mind. Yeah, we can let that one go. I love that movie. I I love it. Kelly loves it because that was one of the first movies we watched when we moved into the apartment here. But, sorry. Back to boxing. It's an okay movie. Anyone? Oh, go ahead, Alex. I was going to say, my favorite boxing movie has to be Cinderella Man. But then again, that just goes back to my my obsession with Russell Crowe. I, oh, man. Because I have the book. Because I got the book, the actual, so the book about the actual story from Kelly's from Kelly's dad and I the, that movie it still makes me cry just because like the the way the movie builds up and builds up to that final fight and then the f- match is over and they're waiting for the card and Paul Giamatti's running around the ring they're gonna screw him like take this long they're gonna screw somebody and then when the announcer comes by unanimous decision the winner and new and just all the emotions come flying out and like people that like who don't follow combat sports or even follow professional wrestling, the words and new are just so because like and still is also great, too, because especially in the decision, you know, it's oh, yeah, it's and still because at least in boxing, because there is the, the decision at the end of a, a 12 or 10 round fight and whatnot or a championship yeah. fight or an MMA, a five round fight. Or a three-rounder. 
Well, I mean, well, for championship t- matches are typically five rounds, but yeah, correct. Yeah. But three rounds, if you're just having a, but it's just, it's so the word, like just hearing and new, and new. like even in professional wrestling, when the winner's already been determined by the pinfall and whatever the submission and just hearing, like I can hear, you know, I, I can hear Howard Finkel saying and new, like, like mankind winning. In '99, and new, and I'm just like, yeah, like it's that booming new, like and still is great, but like even in, like, especially in Cinderella Man, the way he says and new, and just how everything leading, even though you know Russell Crowe wins, you know he wins in the fight because it that's what really happened, he won. Still, it's just the reaction and everything is just so genuine, and it's amazing and just. Ah, it just gets you all jacked up and makes you want to run through a brick wall. See, here's the thing. The the phrase and new, like, obviously, so I follow like, um, UFC and mixed martial arts a little bit more nowadays. Cause um, there's nothing else on. Well, not, not even just that, but like, I just, I like it. I like the, it's just, I don't know. There's something about it, but you talk about like professional wrestling and stuff like that. So when we started watching it way, 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 way back a whole 10 years when, ago, probably when, at this point, when the pay-per-views were actually pay-per-view, like direct, direct TV pay-per-views. Like there was no WWE network where you could just watch them on demand or anything like that. And we didn't, we weren't able to watch the pay-per-views. Like we watched the, all the weekly shows and then everything leading up to the pay-per-view and then the next Monday, like the night after the pay-per-view, we would sit there and we would basically like wait to find out. And typically in the first segment, they'd be like, please welcome. And, and, and like, especially when like me and you wanted the guy to win, we're just like, yeah, he won. Back, back before we became Marks when we thought, yeah, this is awesome. The good guy wins. Now it's like, he shouldn't have won that match. I guess that's the way the wrestling's changed though over the years. So it's turned from, you know, everyone's like, oh, good guy, bad guy, or attitude error type stuff where it's just, let's just see blood. Now it's like, this guy's a better wrestler than this one. Like, we're all snobs now. Like, hardcore, like us, like... When, I don't even like watching... I don't watch wrestling anymore. I really don't. I did watch WrestleMania. I'm like, oh, you know, let's just try to enjoy it a little bit. That's why I think the whole Bray Wyatt... Thing, I think you... I do I'm have... I'm sorry. I can't, I can't watch a WrestleMania that's literally in a little venue with no fans. I can't take it seriously. And that's I'm why sorry. that's why you should watch the Firefly Funhouse match between Bray Wyatt and John Cena. It's just... It's so dumb, it's funny. I, I No. Yes. Yes. I, I would rather watch the segment where Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles oh, they, they accidentally went into Vince McMahon's office and then decided to stand there awkwardly as Vince McMahon told them to get out of his office. I, hmm. I still have to watch that Money in the Bank match because they do it at the at WWE headquarters. It's so dumb. Hey, it's, it's so dumb. You got to do what you got to do, man. You're giving. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's so. This is what WB creative's getting paid for right now is they're trying to figure out what to do. But, hmm. Hey, they're good. 
I mean, well, it's, I, I don't want to say, oh, what are the wrestling movies there are. I'm like, yeah, there's really not. I, there's beyond the, I mean, I will say this. The documentaries for wrestling, I mean, the Dark Side of the Ring series that Vice TV has been doing, holy cow. Like, I watched the Chris Benoit documentary, or the story on that. That itself was just, hey, boy. I think it should be, you should be able to find it on YouTube, Alex, if you want to. Go back and watch it, the whole story about Chris Benoit. It's a two-part series. It's the only two-part they've ever done. It's that crazy. I'll have to watch that, but are you, are you sure that re- really you're you're not the big fan of the wrestler? Listen, if I want to be a fan of Jake the Snake Roberts, I'd be a fan of Jake the Snake Roberts because that's literally Jake the Snake Robert, Roberts without dying doing ad butt. That's pretty much all it is. Poor Mickey Rourke. Why did you take that role, man? Why did you take that bump, man? Why did you take that bump? But no, it. There's, I mean, I'm trying to think of other sports that we didn't mention. I mean, there's like a... There's, well, Ty, I've got you here. If you Figure say, skating. Oh, what? The cutting edge? No. Okay. First of all, we since we were talking about USC, uh, Notorious, the Conor McGregor movie, the one where they follow him through the Mendez, Diaz, and then finish off with the Mayweather stuff. Great movie. You need to watch it. Really Do- inspiring an- stuff. Another documentary. Documentary. But but speaking well speaking skating. of speaking of MMA, Warrior, hmm. Warrior with Tom Hardy as Joel Ed- Edgerton Edgerton. Uh, yep, I think that was his name. Yep, that was pretty good. I just love because because it's Gavin O'Connor, Gavin O'Connor, the director, and he actually plays like this media mogul in the movie. He's the one that sets up this whole tournament. Gavin O'Connor, who's the director behind Miracle. Is just like it's like perfect because like, that guy knows how to do dramatic sports movies. Even though Warrior was not even realistic in the sense of it, but it's like, yeah, that that's that's a great. I think that's a good one. Then again, yeah. it's a troubled Tom Hardy and stuff, and I like I like Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's a good actor. He's pretty. Period. He's pretty good actor. Um, what's what's your what's what's his some some good movies that we talks about? Um, so ah yes, figure skating. Um, you say one, you say Blades of Glory. I'm gonna. I'm going to fight you through this phone. I will punch I was, you through this phone. I was going to say I, Tanya. That's just a solid movie. I have yet to see it. I No. Uh-uh. Okay, Tyler, you have Hulu, right? Sure. You have you have homework now. Margo, I love Margot Robbie. That's the thing, too. That's, Mar- why, that's why it exactly. works. So you're going to love it. It's literally Margot Robbie playing Tanya Harding. It's, it's essentially just a fun. It's, it's, it's perfect. Now my, now my, here's the thing, though, Alex. I've, I've studied so much into that whole saga that it is going to be at this point. I'm like, well, that didn't happen. That's not right. Okay. If you take uh, for Go. the majority, well, actually, no, I would say that I, Tanya, is relatively to par. I would say so. The only the only knock I would say that they I, I have against the movie is. You don't really see it the first time, but when you see, when you've seen the movie like five times and you watch it like over and over again. Oh God! You went one, you went through that phase with the movie, didn't you? I love this movie. I Tanya is such a good movie, but when you watch it and you like, you watch how they CGI Margot Robbie's face onto the person who's basically figure skating. It's and how they kind of do that like 
scene cutting kind of stuff. It can be a little bit bad, but it's it's a solid movie. And that's the thing too is that you have to realize that figure skating is something you can't up and do. You can put someone in a basketball jersey. You can throw some football pads. <clears throat> excuse me, on an actor in a, in a baseball uniform. Yeah, figure skating. Like we didn't even talk about sudden death. We talked about hockey with Jean Claude Van Damme. Jean Claude Van Damme would not put on skates. He tried skating no. once, and he said. Apparently, there were a few explicitives, but he said, get these things off me now. And anytime he's on the ice, is him just literally shuffling his feet. Like, <laughs> that's why, Alex, do you, you remember the Mr. Perfect vignettes, right? Where he would just do, like, throw uh, a football. I mean, I mean, I've seen them. Do you remember the hockey one? When he goes mm-hmm. up against Mike Madano and... No. Of the Campbell Conference All-Stars. They literally... Tyler- Tyler, you, you have to remember, I was born in 1998. Well, they're, they're on YouTube. You got you got to look them up because it's him doing like Great. perfect things. Ah, uh, yes. Hi, my name's Alex Keel, and I'm going to spend my free time looking at the Mr. Perfect vignette from 1980. It, it was like an 80-something. Anyways, no. Well, Whatever. Well, the hockey one's so great because it's Mike Madano and a couple, I think Basil McRae, just firing shots. Like, um, we'll see how good this goaltender really is. It's really John Casey dressed up as a goaltender. Like, hey, hey, John, can you do us a favor and like look like you're a wrestler? Like, look all dramatic. He's making great saves. And I'm like, all right, we got to somehow get Kurt Hennigan here to actually do a save. It's literally him in tennis shoes, and they just fire a shot and it hits him in the leg. And then he's like, like, oh, that was perfect. What did you expect? And Tim's shuffling. Like, he tries to look like he's skating, but you can tell he's just, sh- wa- like, shuffling his feet on the ice. And I'm just like, this is awfully. It was it was that era of wrestling. That's for sure, though. Yeah. Um. So, Itania's a good movie. Uh, Battle of the Sexes, the one with Emma Stone and Steve Carell. Yes. I've heard that's interesting. Never seen it. It's, it's okay. The same way I won't watch Borg, uh, Borg vs. McEnroe, the one with Shia LaBeouf. Mm. Because, once again, I know the rivalry. I know the battles. I know John McEnroe's career. I'm like, I don't want there to be flaws. Like, Because that's the thing about Miracle and The Rookie and just about every other Disney movie that's based on a biopic is that I... Watched those before I got into the story. I saw Miracle, and I had known about the 1980 team. I know about Jim Craig, but well, I don't, never saw- don't forget also too, uh, Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings as well. That's another movie that I saw first. I mean, the wreck itself was legit, but you know, they the way Cool Runnings portrayed it, the movie it was like, oh, they had a chance to meddle or something like that. Uh, they they would have. I don't know if they would have meddled, but they would have had a good run. They would have been like maybe one of the top ten, maybe top five teams in the bobsled. But that's not like you see the movie first and then you're, oh, my gosh, yeah, Cool Runnings. That's a great sports movie. But now, like, you study it. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's that's still a great movie. But it's like, okay, they missed this. They missed this. They missed that. And that's why I don't know, like, there's so many movies that I, that I don't know if I could watch just because that I know so much more now about the story. Like, you could throw up a movie right now, like, if you ever some reason did a Tiger Woods biopic, I'd be like, that's wrong. That's wrong. The golf club through the window. That's right. But that's a little different because she's left-handed. I don't know. I'd, I would be, it'd be something like that. <laughs> she's left-handed. 
I don't know. I'm just saying it'd be kind of hilarious if the, the whole if you change the story somehow. But I mean, that's why like me being me now, like I love studying, you know, sports stories and sports history and whatnot. And that's why like I watch, like I, I watch 42 and 42 does a really good job about keeping to the actual timeline of Jackie Robinson's rookie season and whatnot. And that's why it's, it's okay. Like, that's why, oh, that's why, like, I watch it and it's great. But it's like, oh, well, that was kind of true and that was a little off here and there. But I will say 42 is great because uh, one, the annoying doctor from Scrubs, the one, the mean doctor from Scrubs. What's the guy's name? Oh. But anyways, he plays the play-by-play guy in that movie. That's what makes me laugh because, like, he's such a mean guy in the Scrubs series, the TV show, and then he's just, Yeah, ah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I know who this, you're talking about. This game is tighter than a pair of leather shoes on a rainy day. And I'm just like, yep, that that's, it's, uh, wonderful movies. But, um, John C. McGilney. John C. McGilney, that's his name, yep. But I forget what his character's name was, but I just, I remember, it's, it's one of those actors that you, hey, I remember that face. Who, uh, the character in Scrubs? Yeah. Perry. Oh, Dr. Perry, yep. But like, you know, like for the longest time, John C. Riley, I just I knew who he was. I recognized the face. Oh yeah, you know he was he was in the Talladega Nights. He was Dewey Cox. He did all these other movies. He was in Step Brothers. I didn't know his name, and I'm like John C. Riley. I only had to say it like ten times so I could make sure I memorized it. Dewey yeah. Cox. Dewey Cox. I love you, Dewey Cox. Uh, well, that was that's weird... like that's like uh oh what's his name he was in Land of the Lost. What's that guy's name? I feel like he was in uh Danny McBride. Oh God, that's another guy where you're like you've seen him in so many movies you know who he is but you don't know his name. I think I only learned his name when he did Thirty Minutes or Less. Besides, even though that movie is completely stupid, I'm just like, yep, I know that movie. Why? Because it's literally shot here in Grand Rapids. 30 minutes or less. Oh, that movie. Okay. The one they literally, they shot at Taco Boy. Literally at Taco Boy. You can see the strip. So 30 minutes or less, folks, was literally shot in Grand Rapids. And I can tell you, watching that movie, I literally say, that's where this place is, or this is that place. Which is why I know it's historic that it's definitely accurate, inaccurate because the first part of the movie where Jesse Eisenberg is driving around to go get one drop off one pizza, he drives from downtown to Grand Rap downtown Grand Rapids to Forest Hill Central District to East Grand Rapids, and then I'm pretty sure he somewhere hits somewhere around the Wyoming area, and that's why I say this movie is definitely not accurate because that's impossible to do in a five minute span. <laughs> Well, I mean, you also have to remember, though, I'm looking at, like, the photos of the movie, and, like, right here, you can tell that it's totally that mineral quarry um, that's right next to US-131, the one with, like, the, the blue building and everything and the smokestacks. You know what I'm talking about? By the by the blue building? What, by You're talking... No, cool. it, so, US-131 and I-96. Right. So that mineral quarry with the the smokestack building that has the blue bottom and the white smokestacks, that one. 
Oh, it's, oh, yeah. Yes, it's literally in the movie. Like yeah, they literally it, it, have an entire scene there. The one that was off West River. If you're going to the ballpark, going to Fifth Third Ballpark over here. Yeah, that's where it was at. Yes. The one that I always ride my bike past, and I'm like, I'm gonna get hit by a truck one of these days. Because they just yeah. pull, they just pull right on out of there. <laughs> oh, this was the fun, the interesting part about talking to Rachel and Danae last week was like just talking about Grand Rapids stuff, and just like everyone else is not having a clue what's going on. But that's the best part about being from Grand Rapids. Like, yeah, we can talk about this and that. We it'd be interesting to have. That's why doing. <laughs> Oh no, Alex is laughing about something. I just pulled this up. It is the locations used in the filming of 30 Minutes or Less. Grand Rapids, Wyoming, and Ludington were the filming locations for the film. Vito's Pizza, the Wait. Major's House in Grand Rapids. Wait, Ludington? Yeah, apparently there was some, some stuff in Ludington. You mean like our couple hours north of here, Ludington? Yes, apparently. Or more like an hour and a half or so. You have to go to the coast, but um, Vito's Pizza, the Major's House, um, the junk—they call it the junkyard. It, that's the one with the smokestack. Yep. Um, Brookside School, uh, DJ's Cocktail Lounge on Twenty Eighth Street. Yep. Um, the Family Dollar on Twenty Eighth Street. Uh, oh, that's a. That, they must have. They had to have really done some good, good taping the, off there to actually get that building to be cleared yeah. out. Um, the, the, four, the old four star gas on uh, Chicago drive. Oh my gosh. That one. That's still that thing. That's oh Lord. That thing's probably yep, affected with one place. Um, the taco boy. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, the, the area that, that, um, that one, um, train overpass on front street. That's yeah. another one. um, yeah, and then literally there's only one scene that includes Ludington, and it's literally, it's called, the scene is called uh, The Bank Robbery. And it's in, it's I guess it's some, they're in some bank in Ludington, and they probably used it because it's a really nice, like, granite building. Yeah, there's not too many nice banks downtown, at least that are still being used. There was the old Michigan National Bank that turned into, like, the Uccello stretch there on Monroe Center, but... No. Yeah. You tell me you couldn't use, you know, the big old fifth third bank building there in the corner right across from Rosa Parks. I mean, either that or they could have tried to use the um what's that that one art museum? Uh, the like the Kendall Institute or whatever, the one that's kind of oh, um, yeah, kind of on the east side of town. We're just losing like half our listeners right now. Just be like, what are you guys talking about? Talking about Grand Rapids. Apparently, according to according to Ken Weeb, and I talked to him earlier, you know, talking about how he loves Grand Rapids, one of the favorite AHL towns. Todd Crocker says it's one of the best arenas to come to. Apparently, everyone should come to Grand Rapids. I don't see it, but that's just me. Please don't come to Grand Rapids. There's too many people coming in here as anyways. We had to build a gosh darn castle in Granville to actually accommodate. Uh, they're called the, uh, oh gosh, what are they called? The Empire Apartments or I forgot what the heck they're called now. It looks like a castle, folks. If you look up Castle Apartments Grand Rapids, you'll see what they look like. It's hideous. They made jokes about it and they like, use like the Shrek backdrop of. Wh- you know, what, what? You mean the castle? Yeah. Dude, that's what it's called. 
it's called something else. I I don't even want to try to look it up because it's just. I remember no. it was getting built, and I'm just like Tyler. What? No, it's literally called the Grand Castle Apartments. That's what it's called. Oh my gosh, they are called the Grand. That's just awful. That's just awful. That's... Why would you? That's okay. Here's the thing: people be ripping on this place left and right for looking like. Farquaad's castle, but have you seen the rooms, dude? I would not mind living there. I'm just saying. I just, it's so expensive. Kelly actually looked at it and she said there was a thousand, I think it was like a thousand bucks a month for a one and one. And I was just like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. There, well, you should, probably should check recently because there was, there are a couple that they're one and ones. But they're like eight hundred bucks. But I, I, oh, that's even that's yeah, a hundred bucks. Yeah, so we pay a hundred bucks less, and okay, we get so, one less room and one less bathroom or one less. Okay, but bedroom. but still though, you have a private dog park, you have a library, you have a coffee shop, you have um, your own workout facility, you have all this other stuff that's included that you don't get at where you're living. So boom goes the dynamite. Yeah, we'll fight about it later. But you know what, Alex? We've chatted for a little bit here. So I think, Alex, I think this is a good way to end the show. What do you think? The Grand Castle. The Keel Podcast brought to you by the Grand Castle. Oh, good Lord. I, that's going to be a sponsorship that will never go through. If, hey, I'll take it. Tell us, folks, what you think about today's episode. Tell us what what movies you like to watch. What sport movies have you been watching? Have you been binging any? What do you guys think of The Last Dance, even though, yeah, it was a couple weeks ago, but whatever. But talk about all that good stuff. Use the hashtag at the Cule Podcast. Tweet us at the Cule Podcast. Hashtag TKP. Say hashtag welcome back, Alex. Make that a thing. Make it happen. I don't know if that's Hi. possible. Hey, he's Hi. Alex. He's Alex. Hi. For Alex Cule, I'm Tyler Cule saying goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.